Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 21st of January edition of Aaron and Patricia. My name is Aaron. My name is Patricia. And today on the show, uh, we've got Train Fund Management's nominates uh, Nelson and Jay Russell for Disney's Board of Directors. We're going to give you the nominations for the 2024 version of the BAFTA. The voting is ended for the Oscars and the nominations will be announced next week. The storyboards for Sonic 3 Knuckles has been leaked. A Timothy Chalamet as Wonka sits the sweet spot at the box office. The iconic Cartoon Network building is currently up on an eBay auction. We're going to go for CBR's uh, 10 weirdest animated shows. Sports Illustrated publisher lays off his entire staff. Writer of the Council, Lizzie McGuire, has revealed some interesting details about the show. We know what is about uh, the announcement of the Nintendo Switch, but uh, the information so far, we're going to be revealing it to you on the show. Hyperkin unveils the Mega 95. And finally, Sony issues refunds for The Last of Us Part 2 owners who accidentally pre-ordered the PS5 remaster at full price. You're listening to Aaron and Patricia on the 21st of January of 2024. So, um, next week's show, I think, if I'm looking at this correctly, uh, I think it's going to be uh, the... Uh, I think it's going to be a regular show, I think, that we're going to do. And then on the 4th, we'll actually be in the same country. That's so, right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, that's going to be very exciting. So uh, why we're in the next co- in, in that in that country, we'll uh, we'll let you know as soon as soon as possible. So all right uh, then. Yeah, we'll tell everybody about that. And uh, Patricia, what's going on over Old School Lane? Well, uh, recently I had just posted up a video that I've been working on for over a year now, which is about the 1986 adaptation of Christmas Every Day to round up my look back on adaptations based off of the short story by William Dean Howells. Uh, Unfortunately, it hasn't gotten as much views as I wanted. I mean, obviously, it makes a lot of sense considering that it's no longer Christmas. But um, yeah, if you aren't real interested in learning about it, then please check it out on uh, YouTube. And also, uh, I recently posted up the archives of us talking about Ruby Gilman Teenage Kraken and the Ice Age Adventures of Buckwild. So uh, yeah, uh, stay tuned for some upcoming stuff. Um, Still working on some other stuff for casual chats and also um, doing some other tweaks on that good burger to go video that i've been working on ever since november so yeah that's what's going on right now very cool our top story uh the proxy fight has begun of the disney board of directors uh train fund management uh run by nelson peltz uh, has nominated himself and surprisingly jay russell to the to the disney board of directors now so for those of you who do not know who jay was he effectively was uh, at one point a uh, vice president and also chief financial officer of uh, disney uh, a long time ago and uh, stepped away in 2015 when uh, he didn't get a promotion over to uh, you know uh, a more senior position within the company. So um, now apparently, so for those of you who don't know, Tryon Funds Management is more of like an activist investors group. Effectively, they take what they believe are, you know, organizations that aren't performing as well as they should be and effectively uh, put themselves into the board, put people they believe should be in the board and uh, then put them in and then try and turn the company around. And so um, we, we, from what uh, Nelson Belt is basically saying is that uh, he's disappointed with the performances of uh, recent Disney productions, which I think everybody else I think probably will be somewhat in agree with him is but uh, his solution from at least from what I can gather from uh, hearing from from people within is that uh, apparently he wants to basically just put more uh, a book into Disney Plus and uh, get it to a point where it is basically turning a profit because at the minute for Disney Disney Plus right now well it's a great thing and uh, you know Disney right now is making a profit in various other sectors apparently Disney Plus apparently isn't doing as well as it should do 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, he even said, according to an article from Hedgeweek, that he hopes that uh, Disney Plus would hit Netflix levels uh, 15 to 20 percent by 2027. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, like, let's be honest here. I mean, like, if we have to, like, put the, uh, you know, you know, our, our biases aside, I guess, uh, looking at this, I mean, let, let's be honest, Bob Iger has not done a very good job since, uh, you know, we're taking over from, uh, you know, Bob Shapik. And, uh, I mean, like, right now, as you can see, you know, uh, in the last uh, couple of movies, like, you know, like, you know, A Strange World, in regards to, like, you know, where things like, uh, you know, uh, Wish, that recently came, which was like, sort of like Disney's 100. And also, like, you know, some of the poor decisions, I think, that we made over Disney animated television, the fact that, you know, uh, we don't have amphibia anymore we don't have uh ghost molly mcgee anymore and now we don't have the owl house and uh, we don't have you know and some of the other shows that have basically come in i mean moon girl and devil dinosaur effectively basically there i guess you could say their top show right now on season two and there's even question marks whether even that's going to continue you know post season two and uh, the fact that Haley's on it hasn't really taken off as well as they would like it to and uh, right now they're relying on kiff and they're relying on uh you know big city greens i mean the the disney brand at the minute i mean if we had to look at it you know just as Disney and ignore everything else entirely. I mean, they have sort of got a got a point. Like you know, where uh, Disney doesn't feel as magical as it does right now, as it has like in you know in years past. Yeah, and I even heard some people saying about that the uh, changes that they decided to do with the theme parks was also really really shocking, considering that they have been jacking up the prices on the tickets and also the treatment of some of the cast members. I mean, there was even a documentary that uh, Diane Disney Miller had put together, if you remember, about the people who had worked hours upon hours over at the th Disney theme parks and about how much they were not making compared to like other uh, corporations that had made millions upon millions of dollars about them having to live in poor conditions. And even if they get fired, they have like little to no resources for them to get themselves on track. I mean, it's it's abysmal. Yeah, I mean, like, well, man, that's corporate America in general, isn't it? Like, I uh, know, but you would expect that Disney, the happiest place on earth, would be not following that same situation. Was it? You know, since you and I have basically been like covering Disney, like, you, when have you and I ever been like? Well, besides the time we actually went to Disney World, I mean, like, uh, um, can we actually say that you know, with the current products of the minute, can we say that it is the happiest place on earth? I don't think it is. Hmm. Do you? Like, it's just I, I, I can say there's been happy at times, don't you? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, like, but mind you, like, uh, let's focus on what, you know, Train Fund Management actually wants to do. So they actually released, a, they actually uh, ran a website. It's called RestoreTheMagic.com. Have you seen that website? No. I thought, yeah. So, um, unfortunately, I mean, like, they they make some very vague points about what they want to do to basically get Disney back on track. But, uh, I mean, besides, like, saying, oh, well, Disney Plus needs to be better. It's like, well... Okay, it's like, I mean, that's not a secret, but I mean, like, what's your big plan to, like, you know, to effectively, quote-unquote, restore the magic? And uh, maybe I should probably read some little bits and pieces and maybe get your reaction to it. Oh, yeah, so, for sure. Okay, so here's the opening page. So, Disney shareholders and fans are not feeling the love. Train loves Disney, but uh, does Disney leadership love its shareholders and fans? Over the past decade, Disney shareholders would have been much richer if they'd invested in the S&P 500 or Disney's self-selected uh, media peers instead. Train board nominees N Nelson Peltz and Jay Rosulo want to help. Mm hmm if that mean. And you know what? They actually on this website, they probably bring in like probably like the two worst people to like comment on Disney. Do you know? Do you want to know who those people are? 
Who? Okay, so the first comment is brutal track record. Shareholders, shareholders have been incredibly poor served uh, by the Disney board. And also the second quote is um, Nelson Bells can be a change agent because right now the Disney board seems downright unfocused. And the mm. first comment, I'll say, I, I, the second comment I'll, I'll say is from Jim Cramer, who's the CNBC guy. Okay. And who basically people make fun of for like right, some then. of the calls that he makes. And the first comment is from Elon Musk. Oh, right. The guy who tanked Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, when you want to, like, you know, in- encompass, you know, uh, uh, you know, um, you know, credibility into an argument you're going to make, you're going to surely bring in Elon Musk. Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Is that when he's is that when he's high or when he's not high? No, you bring, you um... bring him in. High on what? High on high, power? High on high on ego? love? <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, whatever. Okay. Um. Okay. So it continues on. Disney board needs focus, alignment, and accountability. Train believes the uh, root cause of uh, Disney's underperformance uh, is a board that is too closely connected to a long tenured CEO and too disconnected from its shareholders' interest. Mm. Wow. I mean, okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you. It's like it's uh, doesn't this kind of come across as a bit, you know. Um, here's this uh, very. It comes with very populist, doesn't it? Like you know. Yeah, I mean, you these have people, people have lost like... them. These people have lost their way, and I am the only one who can fix it. Have you heard this joke before, Patricia? Make America <laughs> great again. Ah, uh, jeez. I, I I feel like I've heard this shit before. Look, we all have had our instances in which we believe that we can be able to do better if we were in charge. But let's be honest, it's a lot more complicated than that. Like, oh, it's like, you know, probably when we uh, saw something that was like so bad that we decided to be elitist saying like, oh, if I was put in this position, I could do a way better job. But no, it's not that case at all. I mean, first of all, there's a lot of decisions that you have to make that involve with the the, the big picture instead of the light, tiny little details. And you, you maybe your vote might even be outvoted by other people who say otherwise, and you can't really do anything about it. So people are going to blame you saying like, well, why didn't you push this harder? It's like, it's not as easy as you think it is, people. I know. It's like, I'm just looking at this website, and it's like, it's just wishy-washy statements. Basically, like saying, oh, we you know, Disney is uh, not performing as well. Yeah, we know. And yes, it's like, we know. We, we believe it's unfocused, and uh, it is, you know, well, we need to bring it back to focus. Yeah, we know. So what the hell are you going to do about it, effectively? Uh, and so- yeah, I, I mean, here's the thing. It's like, you know, we all have an instance in which we want to be able to make changes, but we can say it all we want, but we, if, we, if we don't take action, then n- nothing's going to happen. Okay, here's here's five. Well, here's five things that they want to say they want to focus on. So, the first one is corporate governance, and they say Disney's current path: preserve as much of the status quo as possible by playing defense, evidenced by limited changes to compensation and succession processes. So, this is like what's going on at the top of the of the chain. Effectively, mm-hmm. so um, Train's goal and initial perspectives: adopt a in-class governance. Best in class governance finally complete a successful CEO submission, so, sorry, succession and align market pay with performance. So, effectively, fire Bob Iger. Effectively, that, that seems to be, I mean, in a nutshell, their aim in regards to corporate governance and replace it with somebody else. Mm-hmm. 
Which, you know, well, okay, who are you going to replace it with? Who Who's the person who's going to come in and turn Disney around? Yeah, I, I'm trying to figure that out. It's like, who would be second in command after Bob Iger decides to leave or if they decide to fire him? Well, like, I mean, it, it wouldn't even be the second in command. I, I think they, you know, given the they're an activist investment firm that are like, you know, seems to be uh, focusing on overhaul change. At least that's the impression that I get. I think they're going to replace him with somebody, you know, outfield. Hmm. Like, I mean, like, but who on earth would they do? You know, it's like... Uh, but again, they don't really explain like what they plan to do. Like it's just it's just, so his streaming his streaming profitability. So Disney's current path: focused on achieving significance and sustained profitability. No guidance or tangible targets beyond break even. And uh, so Train's goal and initial perspectives on this is target and achieve Netflix like margins of fifteen twenty percent of FY twenty twenty seven. So basically, means like they they want to achieve, you know. The, the type of margin that Netflix is currently seeing uh, by about 15, 20% by 2027. So that's like within the next three years. Hmm. But I mean, hey. again, how are you going to achieve that? Yeah, I'm trying to figure that out. Like, you know, you're saying that you want to be able to accomplish this, but how are you going to do that? Yeah. Okay, the next one's Future of SPN. This is the third one. Uh, Disney's okay. current path. This is according to, this is Train's, idea of, of you know from restorethemagic.com building espn into a preeminent digital sports platform lacking intangible business plan or defined cost to shareholders train's goals and initial perspectives is commit to a reasonable defined paycheck period pay sorry payback period and return profile on espn flagship dtc and communicate it all in prior prior to launch what okay it's like, well, I mean, ESPN, I mean, uh, here's the thing, I, I disagree with the idea of Disney, like, you know, pouring tons into ESPN, but I've got to be honest with you, it worked for BT when they opened their sports channels, and then all of a sudden they got this huge amount of revenue from, you know, out, out of left field. So, I mean, it wouldn't, it's not a loser for Disney to say, say oh yeah, well, we're going to do more sports. It's like, yeah, mm -hmm. hell yeah, do more sports. Look what Nickelodeon is doing. I mean, it's not, you know, obviously it's not working out too well because I think people are confused about, you know, what to do in regards to the ad revenue and things. But, uh, I mean, at least it looks like that's where people seem to be going. Yeah. I, I, can you imagine, up. Yeah. Can you imagine if in USPN, uh, ESPN that, you know, you have your typical sports commentators talking about, oh, this is what happened to the latest baseball game or basketball game. Imagine if you have Disney characters trying to do the same thing. <laughs> I mean, well, if um, if it works for Nickelodeon, I would blame Disney for trying to do it. Yeah, I, mean, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't blame them for trying to do it. I wouldn't either. agree with it. But I mean, like, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they tried. Yeah. Okay. Oh, boy. Studio creativity. This is the fourth one. Oh, no. Disney's current path. Improving the outputs and economics of our film studios. So that's their... I mean, I mean, they they say that they base this on a source. I mean, I, I'm, I have no idea. We've only got so, many, so much time to focus on this. But, uh, okay. So, Train's goals and initial perspectives. A board-led review of creative processes and structures to restore leadership, accountability, and reclaim number one box office position with leading economics. So, um, again, they don't really clarify what the, the what the plan is. I mean, at least yeah, I mean, they want to be number one at the box office. But Everybody how? wants to be number one at the box office. I mean, like that's just a lofty goal. 
Like, you know, yeah, it's like, I you mean, know, I'm sure Vinnie Maguire would love to be number one at the box office, but it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Yeah, I, you, mean, I mean, that's a lot of people's goals. You know, they want to be able to craft a movie and hopefully that people will be able to tune in and watch it and see if maybe they can be able to get any recognition. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, we talked about this in the year in review where we said that Disney did not do a lot in terms of getting anybody's trust and saying, oh, yeah, like we really want to be able to tune into your films. Um, yeah, even you guys, when you voted on like what was like the worst film of you know that year you guys said wish unanimously it's like yeah the, the reason why is because they're playing it way too safe in a year in which it was very progressive like there were so many changes and so many things that they were able to showcase that ordinarily would have been taboo 20 30 years ago um they were able to stand out and be praised because of that. And Disney decided to just play it safe and release a whole bunch of reboots and remakes and sequels and original films that have like absolutely no creativity whatsoever. I'll say if we say this, like, you know, uh, again, th this could mean anything, you know, bold led review of creative processes and structure and restore leadership accountability, you know, and reclaim normal box office vision with leading economics. I mean, like, uh, um, I'm gonna like just go on a limb here. Like, I'm gonna take a massive stab in the dark, and uh, I'm guessing a board-led review would mean who's in charge over at, D at uh, Disney Animation, and uh, basically, um, saying okay, this is what you need to aim for, and this is what you need to do. And uh, I mean, I think we can all say, you know, we know what the problems are over at Disney Animation right now. Their shows only go on for like two or three seasons at a, at a time. And, uh, you know, there's uh, people you know, when shows disappear, their fans go with them effectively. So they need to find a, a formula where if you are going to bring in a really popular show that you stay by that popular show, you still stay by their fans and you still, you know, and also on top of that, you don't give the people who are working on the show such a hard time over stuff, you know, like, uh, yeah, I still think that, and I, again, I mean, this is just going to continue being my position on this. You know, I think they made a big mistake when uh, they seem to have let go of a number of great talents that came out of Gravity Falls and basically came in. And, you know, now they've got, we're going to be getting Thinnies and Fur back, which probably makes, doesn't really make too much sense to me in regards to like, you know, uh, given the fact where we left off the show and how many episodes of the show there's actually been. And, uh, you know, you've, you've got all these people that you had and you didn't keep hold of them. And now you have now got this problem where, you know, you've got these animated shows that are coming in and uh, you've got a lot of young, wonderful talent that I think can really do something. And you're not really doing anything with them. Or you're at least yeah, not unlike, them up until uh, unlike say Nickelodeon, in which they know that their franchises have the potential of drawing in new generations of people, and so they decide to you know post their stuff up and get a whole bunch of buzz, and then they're like saying, "Oh wow, you really liked Avatar: The Last Airbender when we posted it up on Netflix in 2020." Well, guess what? We're going to announce that we're going to be having um, Avatar Studios, and it's going to dedicate itself to making more Avatar: The Last Airbender stuff, and 
we're going to have the like, Nickelodeon when they were saying that. Oh, hey, we are going to go around the world and uh, we're going to, uh, you know, um, open some studios and allow people to like, you know, produce stuff and uh, basically create like, you know, Nicktoons are like, you know, worldwide. And, uh, you know, if some of them actually are pretty good, they can bring them into like, you know, their main lineup if they think, you know, they're they're worth bringing in. So, I mean, oh, yeah, like, that's you know, right. we, yeah, we talked yeah. about that yeah. uh, a long time ago in Aaron and Patricia, where they're bringing in animation studios from Africa because they see the potential that they're able to tell stories that ordinarily wouldn't be showcased in their own countries. Exactly, yeah. And so, I mean, the, Nickelodeon is uh, doing a, a very good thing in that regard. And so I think what Disney need to do, I think, uh, well, I mean... Um, I mean, if, if I had to, you know, decide, if I was in charge of Disney, I mean, the first thing I probably would do is like, you know, oh, hey, we're going to bring, you know, Dana Terrace and we'll bring my, 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 my Briley back and uh, we're going to get them back into the fold and say, OK, well, guys, what are we going to do here? I probably will bring in, I probably bring in some like, you know, uh, also some of the veterans. I bring in Craig Barlow for the first time. Like, you know, uh, I bring him in and say, oh, hey, can you do it? Have you got any idea for a Pixar movie? Or like, have you got any ideas for like, you know, uh, what you could do? And I bring in everyone I believe are trustworthy and are, you know, willing to bring creativity and bring, you know, um, also I would say accountability to a project. I think, uh, you know, everybody who's, you know, was in there who was really doing some like some big things and, you know, really de delivering, they all should be brought back immediately. I mean, so there's your creative processes structure and also your leadership accountability at the same time all being brought back in because you can bring in some hungry young people and bring in some veterans to like, you know, to keep the shift going forward and everything like that. So, I mean, yeah, I basically just did. I was basically given, you know, training investment management, you know, strategy, you know, for free. So, I mean, you're welcome. <laughs> All right, and uh, the last one in their list of vagueness is uh, parks and experience experiences growth. So uh, the Disney's perspective of the current path is strategically investing in our experience, but experiences business and turbocharged growth. Um, according to Train's goals and initial perspectives, um, they say executive sorry execute on a clear vision for parks targeting at least high digit digital operating income growth and ensure adequate returns on a 60 billion of of capex okay uh, so right. yeah um so basically you know just uh, get more people into the parks all right how i mean here's the thing babe Going do, into you, the do you hear those crickets <laughs> that are in the background that's the answer yeah, like here's the thing. You see, many of the theme parks are starting to step up in terms of bringing in a whole bunch of new attractions and gimmicks to get people in. You hear that huge crowd in the background that Universal Studios is bringing in with Super Nintendo World? And they're announcing that they're going to expand it even more with, with a Donkey Kong Country setting. People are wanting to go over there because it's new, it's fresh, it's the most happiness happening thing that the kids with the TikToks love, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah. no, seriously, um, here that's that, I mean... Competition in theme parks is steeping. There's a lot of other attractions that are making new rides and people are really excited about it. And they're bringing in a whole bunch of things that people just really want to go into. While, you know, saying Disney, I mean, sure, you know, we have, a, um, you know, a whole bunch of stuff that they're going to be adding into the theme parks pretty soon. But 
it's not generating like a, a major buzz. And also, like I said, those ticket prices and those food prices and the hotel prices on top of that, it is staggeringly expensive. So if you really want to have people invested in going into your theme parks again, you really need to like shake things up and say, okay, you know, what can we do to bring people back? I mean, we need to have like new rides and attractions that'll get people excited. We need to make it a little bit cheaper so that people, all types of people can be able to go in and enjoy themselves. And yeah, I mean, it, from the looks of it, it's not going to happen anytime soon. I know. And, um, I I I want I want the, these guys to prove me wrong. I really do. But uh, my biggest fear is that basically, if these guys get get in and uh, you know start wreaking havoc on Disney, my biggest fear is that basically, you know, all they're going to do is like, yeah, Disney's basically the same as it always was, except it's less gay and you know more white. That that that's my biggest fear that might come out of all of this. Oh boy. I mean, it's like, uh, yeah, it's just it's. Uh, um, I really hope that I really want them to prove me wrong. I really want them to say, oh, hey, um, we've got these great, fresh new ideas that are going to come in and uh, we are going to basically, you know, uh, do some great things. In fact, you know, oh, hey, maybe we might even, uh, you know, um, you know, do bring out some franchises that you've never seen for a while. Or, uh, you know, maybe we're going to do some stuff that, uh, you know, um, really resonates with the, you know, 30, you know, 30, 40 year old demographic, like the parents. And then also we'll make him, you know, you know, really you know go for the six to eleven demographic and we'll target all those at once and we'll do that by bringing back old favorites maybe they will do that i have no or, or, idea you know what another great idea how about this how about um utilizing the disney channel shows because they rarely if ever do this the only exceptions that i've seen over the years is like maybe some of the disney channel shows from like the 90s and as recently as Phineas and Fur, but wouldn't it be nice if we had like a little section dedicated to like some of the older Disney Channel shows that people really love, like DuckTales or Darkwing Duck, or even recently as say Gravity Falls, Phineas and Ferb. Well, Darkwing Duck's still in the works, isn't it? They're still they're still working on that as we speak. Uh, last yeah, time, I mean, expand it even more than just like a little section in the theme park. I'm sure that people would go absolutely crazy for it. I think they need to bring back the Owl House. I really do. I think, uh, you know, given the fact that uh, they created so much buzz with that show and, uh, you know, also same with Amphibia as well. Like, I really do think that uh, they need to, the, the, these shows that they had were so epic and they were so imaginative and they were so big. I think they need to go back to them, I think. And, yeah, uh, but unfortunately, uh, that's the thing that they don't see that people love these shows they think that oh these shows are too complicated for kids because they're not episodic and you have to tune into the next episode if you're feeling lost because you missed last week's episode and oh they're, they're a little bit too dark they're supposed to be light and happy because we're disney so i mean you remember what rebecca told us about how you know certain shows tend to be overlooked because they don't like cater to certain demographics. I mean, it's a, it's a difficult thing for kids to tune into a show that has like a long ongoing arc when something like big city greens, you can be able to watch any episode and not feel a hundred percent completely lost. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, it is what it is, and uh, so, I mean, who knows? Maybe there there is a big push right now. Here's the Trium Management right now own about three billion dollars in shares of Disney at the minute, and uh, so, but uh, even though they own quite a lot, as far as I'm aware, they're not the big player in all of this. So, the other big player in all of this is another investment fund, which uh, 
Um, I completely forget the name. I do apologize. I mean, I had them up on the screen. I can't remember what they were. But uh, I mean, they've got they've got their own ideas. But the problem is that basically their idea effectively is basically just keep Bob Iger in charge, which is like. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Look, here's the thing. Bob Chappick was a dumpster fire on top of another dumpster fire on top of a train wreck. And I'm so glad that he's gone. But yeah, I mean, Bob Iger hasn't made things even better. I mean, let's be honest. This is the same guy who was against the strikes and who um, thought that people were just being inconsiderate when they should be going back to work and appreciating with what they had. And yeah. he is so out of touch with things. But and that's another problem is that, you know, like uh, one side is saying, oh, let's, let's tear down the house. And the other side is saying, no, let's keep it up the way it is and let's not do anything to to repair it because disney's just fine the way that it is no it's not and no, uh, the, no. the, 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 the alternative Here, here's the thing investors corporations um razulo and um pelts if you ever have an inkling of a chance for you to tune into what we're saying I would highly recommend that you listen to all of the animated films that we covered this year. And more than once, I can assure you, we have said Disney's not doing very well. Listen to our Wish podcast. Listen <laughs> to our Nimona podcast. Listen to any other animated film that we've covered this year and know that this is what the audience wants. They want to see change. They want to see progression. They want to see something fresh and revolutionary. Sure, relying on nostalgia can be good for a little bit as a gimmick. And, you know, it's a nice little callback to what it used to be. But at the same time, we are progressive people. We want to, I mean, even Disney himself said, keep moving forward. That way we can be able to see what we can be able to bring into the future. He was all about that. And if you just want to keep relying on what you already have, that's not what Disney's ideology was. My biggest, another thing that my fear I come out of all this is that, uh, hey, you know, uh, there's going to be massive amounts of Disney layoffs and we're going to replace everything with AI. And uh, so when, now, I, I, I mean, w trust me, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that later. I, I mean, uh, about, you know, it's just this, uh, again, like, you know, it's just with wishy washy words and, you know, just, uh, you know, um, vague. Uh, descriptions of what's going on is not going to put confidence in Disney fans or even shareholders. They want concrete information about what you're going to do. And if they don't have that, then quite frankly, you might as well say nothing. And like, uh, Yeah, just, I, I mean, you're essentially going to be like that guy who created No Man's Sky, where you're going to make all of these promises saying like, oh yes, we're going to have an open world. Yes, we're going to have all these features. Yes, you can play the game forever and ever and ever. And then when people have the final product, it's like less to people's expectations and then everybody's going to hate it and basically just lose confidence on what the game is. Nowadays, No Man's Sky is a much better game now than when it first started, but that first impression has gotten people no longer interested in the game anymore. So, yeah, you can say all you want about like, oh, this is what we want to do and we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to do this, but if you are not upholding to that or even worse, you're not even going to do it at all, People are going to lose hope or even care about what you're going to be delivering to your product. They'll in the go future. to Netflix or they'll go somewhere else. Or they'll like, go to uh, Netflix. They'll go to Amazon Prime. They'll go to uh, Ma uh, they'll go to Max. I don't <laughs> know about Max. Dumpster fire that, that I know that I know. I mean, well, they go to Paramount Plus before they go to Max. Okay, yeah, yeah, they'll go to Paramount Plus. Yeah, 
I mean, because at least we know that, you know, Netflix has a lot of great animated movies and TV shows. We know that Amazon Prime, same thing, um, has been Hotel, has become a massive hit over there. I mean, we've been seeing Morgan, we've been seeing Elijah, we've been seeing We Last Reacts, we've been seeing Bill, we've been seeing a whole bunch of people talking about that show. And hey, you know, it used to be a case in which like, you know, Amazon Prime had its fair share of shows, yes. But, you know, now people are actually getting an Amazon Prime account because they want to see Hasbin Hotel. And Paramount Plus, it's like, we, we literally talked about good burger too and we were saying like wow that movie was better than we thought it was going to be and knowing that they're going to be doing some stuff in the future for avatar the last airbender like the live action show um which is going to be coming out next month by the way and if it's good just like the one piece um netflix show that's going to get even more subscribers yeah. so yeah disney you really need to get things together. Well, I mean, like, uh, uh, problem is that so you have to people that's also get things together, and right now they're 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 not. I mean, like, uh, they're fighting amongst themselves about like you know who's got control of the company. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of Sega Japan versus Sega of America. It's like we know what's best for Sega. No, no, we do. Yeah, it's just this. Uh, I mean, like, well, I don't, I don't think I think it's this the the Sega you know debacle. I think it was probably like you know a flash in the pan compared to like you know what's going on here right now. Like uh, you know, um, Dizzy is like fighting with itself, and uh, is it? A con I think it probably is a consequence of it getting too big. Effectively, like you know, it has become this big behemoth, and everyone is fighting for control over it, and everyone thinks they know what's best for it. And when you ask them for information about, like, you know, well, what do you think is best for Disney? They can't tell you. Like, it's just, it's, uh, it's so, you know, and uh, when I think when these, uh, my biggest fear is that whoever ends up being in control of the company, I, I just think that uh, they are not, they are not really going to really get. At the end of the day, I think the only people who are going to win out of all this, effectively, are basically going to be like, you know, the people in the suits at the top in the, in the, uh, in, in the boardroom, effectively. They're the only ones who are going to win. In regards to, like, you know, the shareholders, in regards to the, um you know, the Disney fans themselves, I think they're the ones who are going to end up losing the most out of all of this, I think. Oh, man. Because no, I mean, no one here is making any... They've only got two choices, pretty much, at the minute. Like, they got, uh, you know, uh, let's have chaos, or let's have, like, you know, um let's just keep things out the way they are, and uh, let's just pretend there's not a problem. Like, you know, those mm -hmm. are the choices right now, and they're not great choices for Disney. Like it's just it's uh it it, it doesn't look good, you know. And uh, this is how they're starting off twenty twenty four. What do you freaking do? Yeah. Anyway, um, we've told that to death. So yeah, uh, let let's move on. Okay. Anyway, the, so yeah, um, so, so yeah, the, the BAFTA nominations have been announced uh for um twenty twenty four. So uh, I have got the full list of them here when I uh, get the page open. So uh, shall we go through them all? And uh, we think. Give our opinion on uh, what we think uh, is deserving of there and what isn't deserving of there. Yeah, go for it. Okay. So, um, the first category is best film. Uh, the nominations are um, Atomy of the Fall, The Holdovers, Killer of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer, and Poor Things. Mm, um, those are really good choices. I've heard a lot of praises for all of those films for this year. I wouldn't be surprised if either Oppenheimer or Killers of the Flower Moon would win this one. I'll go for Oppenheimer because, you know, right now that's, that's, that's running rampant at the minute in regards mm -hmm. to interest. Okay. Um, outstanding British films. Uh, the nominees are All of Us Strangers, How to Have Sex, Napoleon, The Old Oaks, Poor Things, Rye Lane, Saltburn, Scrapper, Wonka, and The Zone of Interest. 
Mm, the only movie that we saw this year was Wonka. Yeah, and I, mean, I don't know if Wonka, you think Wonka will win for best, uh, for outstanding British film? That would be well, really I'll tell you what, if we go in, we'll tell you what, maybe we can talk about it a bit further when we get into our other bit of Wonka news uh, later on in the show. So uh, maybe we could probably, you know, speculate on how well it's going to do then. Okay, oh. yeah. I mean, I've heard of Napoleon. That's uh, Ridley Scott's newest film. And yeah, I don't really hear a lot of people talking about it, though. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, film not in the English language. Uh, the nominees are 20 Days in Maripol, uh, Atomy of the Fall, Past Lives, Society of the Show, and The Zone of Interest. I haven't seen any of those movies, sadly. Uh, 20 Days in Maripol is very interesting. Like it's just okay. it's, uh, it's about the Ukrainian war. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so uh, maybe that probably might take it because, like, you mm, know, it's, it's 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 a very striking piece. Okay. So, okay. Outstanding debut of a British director, writer, or producer. Uh, the nominees are Blue Bag Life with uh, Lisa Selby, uh, Rebecca Lloyd Evans, director and producer Alex Fry, and producer. Uh, Alex Fry's producer, sorry. Uh, Bobby Wine, uh, the People's President, uh, with uh, Christopher Sharp as director. Uh, Earth Mama with uh, Savannah Leaf, who is writer, director, producer. Uh, Shirley O'Connor, uh, who is uh, also producer, and uh, oh, there's a few other people also involved in Earth Mama. You have to forgive me, it's not worded very well in this survey. Uh, um, How to Have Sex, uh, Molly Manning Walker, writer and director. And uh, is anybody out there with uh, Ella? Glenn Dining, who's director. Um, okay. None of the above. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'll go with Bobby Wine because Bobby Wine's a really great story. It's about uh, you know uh, uh, someone who's running, who runs the opposition in Uganda, who's constantly, constantly under uh, you know uh, suppression from the uh, Uganda government. Okay. So, cool. Uh, yeah, I'll go with that. Um, okay, director. The nominees are All of Us Strangers, uh, Andrew Hay, uh, Atomy of a Fall, Justin Trade. Uh, the Holdovers, Alexander Payne, uh, Maestro with Bradley Cooper, Oppenheimer with Christopher Nolan, and The Zone of Interest with uh, Jonathan Glazer. I wouldn't be surprised if um, Christopher Nolan wins this one. I'll go with Christopher Nolan, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Original screenplay, um, Atomy of the Fall, Barbie, uh, The Holdovers, Maestro, and Past Lives. And before we get into this, I mean, you remember when we first talked about the Barbie movie all yes. those years ago? And yes. did you ever think we'd get to this point? Of like no. you know, Barbie up for Annie, Barbie up for Emmy, Barbie up for BAFTA, <laughs> Barbie potentially for Oscars. We'll talk about that later on in the show. But, but yeah, this is amazing. I never thought we'd ever be talking about this with Barbie. Yeah, especially since Barbie had had those crappy directed video movies. So it's like, yeah, Barbie movie. I mean, like, yeah, this is going to be like a flash in the pan. It's like, hey, um, people who worked on Barbie, you're a little bit too late trying to cash in the popularity of the Lego movie. I'm but really surprised they haven't done like a re-release of like all the Barbie movies while all this has been going on. I mean, like, uh, they were directed know. video. They were never in theaters. Yeah, but I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, okay, you know, you think, oh, hey, we own this intellectual property. Let's be, let's, let's print out a bunch of DVDs and get them in the stores. Can you see them doing that? <laughs> no, seriously, they would, they would do. Wouldn't you? you know, like, uh, I'm mean, anyone who's got an ability. Like, remember, they did the Super Mario Brothers re-release for the 1993 movie when the Super Mario Brothers movie came. Oh, that's out. right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, mm, I mean, eh, I guess. Anything but which ones is the question? Uh, oh, who cares? They're, they're, it's <laughs> okay. Barbie. That anyone will buy them. Okay, enough. Right. Um. Best. So anyway, for original screenplay. Um. So, um. You know what? Just because it's got there, I'll give it. I'll. I'll say Barbie. 
Sure. Like, it's not technically it's not really original when you think about it. It's based off Barbie. Yeah, but but it's but it's not like I mean Barbie doesn't really have like a story arc to be quite honest. It's not like oh um you know well, there's a law about... like you know there's Barbie, there's Ken, and then there's like a, was it Stacy? I think he's a daughter. Yeah, Stacy. Uh, no, Stacy's uh, sister. Sister. Oh, okay, then yeah, I'm gonna create like yeah. You know... Barbie and Ken don't have children. Oh yeah, okay. I was gonna say milf Barbie wouldn't really sell that well, would it? But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, um, moving on. Adapted screenplay. Uh, the nominations are um, All of Us Strangers, uh, American Fiction, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, and uh, The Zone of Interest. Mm. Uh, again, I haven't seen any of those films, but I like again. Again, I, I, like I, I, I would, said, I would I say would Bobby so out of original screenplay, and I put it in adapted screenplay. That, that, you, you know, there were there opinion. were actually some people who actually did that in the nominations. I think I think the Oscars are probably going to do that for adapted screenplay, putting Barbie there or I or something like that. But um, like I said, I mean, yeah, Barbie is based off of like the dolls, but there's no concrete story arc about Barbie. It's not based off of a book. It's not based. Well, off again, of a I guess we're going into technicalities, aren't we? So I guess so. Yes. You know, wait, 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 let's 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 of that. We'll uh, we'll get into that as another point when we talk about. Barbie sure. more, more. In fact, we I, I think. Yeah, have you seen Barbie? Yes, I have. No, I haven't seen it. So I. I okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's the screenplay. So, um, all of us strangers, American fiction, Oppenheimer, poor things, and a zone of interest. So, like I said, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Oppenheimer takes this. I mean, Oppenheimer is a big favorite right now. Yes, it like, is. Uh, I mean, uh, can you see? It's, it's it's got to take an Oscar, surely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's going to take an Oscar. Okay, okay, whether okay. it's for actor, whether it's for director, whether it's for best uh, actor screenplay, I wouldn't be surprised if it takes at least one Oscar. Yeah, but uh, yeah, well, we'll see. Okay, um, leading actor. The nominees include Bradley Cooper, Coleman Domingo, uh, Paul Giamatti, uh, Barry Krogan, uh, Cillian Murphy, and T.O. Yo. Mm, okay, well. Mm, none of the above. <laughs> I don't see it. I don't see any of them. I do. Yeah, I haven't seen any of them, so sorry. Yeah. Okay. Leading actress. This will surprise you. The nominees include Fantasia Barino for The Color Purple, uh, Sandra Huller for Atomy of the Fall, uh, Carrie Mulligan for Maestro, Vivian Opera for Right Lane, Margaret Robbie for Barbie, and Emma Margot Stone for Robbie is nominated for Best Actress, actress in the BAFTA for, for Barbie. Yeah, exactly. And wow. Emma Stone for Poor Things. That's like, amazing. Yeah. I've got to be honest with you. You know, when you and I first talked about this movie and we thought how, you know, how like, you know, um, I was trying to find the best word for it. Like how you know, we just thought it was basically going to be a product of like the Barbie lineup. We effectively thought like, you know, uh, we, we thought it would be like, you know, this is going to get poor reviews and go for Razzies, if anything. Not BAFTAs and Emmys and Oscars. And Annie's. Exactly. Yeah. We wrote this off, you know, quite early on, but good grief. I mean, like, as that, as that table turned, maybe they heard I know, us. Right. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, um, you know what? I will give, I will give Margot Robbie my vote. Sure. Okay. Then, um, supporting actress, the nominees include Emily Bunn for Oppenheimer, Danielle Brooks for the color purple, uh, Claire, Claire Foy for all of the strangers, uh, Sandra Huller for the zone of interest, uh, Rosamund Pike for Saltburn and uh, Diva Jane Randolph for The Holdovers. Uh, I I haven't seen any of the films, so I can't really say I anything. I can't say, yeah. I can't pick one. Um, 
supporting actor. The nominees include Robert De Niro for Killers of the Flower Moon. Good to see him again. Uh, Robert mm-hmm. Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer. Good to see him again. Uh, Jacob L. Ordi for Saltburn. Uh, Ryan Gosling for Barbie. <laughs> Uh, Ryan Meskel for all of his strangers and Dominic Sessa for the holdovers. Good grief. If you told me during the height of Iron Man that was uh, Ryan Gosling and Robert Downey Jr., we'd be jostling for supported actors in the in the BAFTAs. <laughs> and you gave me those and you gave me the movie Barbie. Good grief. I'd be laughing. I really would. <laughs> we're not laughing now. No, we're not laughing now. Yeah, but Robert Downey Jr. is very convincing in Oppenheimer. I thought. Oh, sure, sure. I don't I don't I've only seen clips, but like, you know, he, he is very good. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, okay. Um, original score. The nominees include Killers of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, Saltburn, and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Oh, wow, really? I'll go so Spider-Verse. That's... Yeah, I, Spider-Verse's soundtrack was actually really good. Yeah. Whether it's going to be good for a BAFTA or not, I have no idea. I have no idea either. Like, I think BAFTA, I think BAFTA, I mean, I might be wrong, but I think BAFTA might have a bit of a bias towards like more classical-sounding you know, themes. More than like yeah, Spider-Man and, and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is not it. Mm, maybe they're my surprises. Who knows? Who, who knows? I mean, I'd be surprised too, you know? Putting in a little bit of hip-hop and rap and R&B and, you know, a little bit more of a funky beat compared to like classical music. Uh, again, I, I I would be really surprised if it were to win. Yeah. The Rising Star Award. This is the award that's voted in by the public. So the okay. UK probably gets a vote in this. So uh, the nominees include Phoebe... Deneva for Bridgerton, um, Abo Abdiri for the Bears, um, Jacob Alordi for Saltburn, Mia McKenna Bruce for How to Have Sex and The Last Train to Christmas, and Sophie Wilde for Talk to Me and Everything Now. Um, I'll be honest with everybody, I've not caught up with this movie, so I can't really. Yeah, I can't really it. say anything either. Yeah. Uh, casting. Uh, the nominees include All of Us Strangers, Atomy of the Fall, The Holdovers, How to Have Sex, and Killer of the Flower Moon. I haven't seen any of them, sadly. No, I haven't seen them either. Okay. Editing. The nominees include Atomy of the Fall, Killers of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, and The Zone of Interest. I loved Oppenheimer's style. Mm. I think that's got really good editing. I think. Yeah. I, I, it might be a contender. Yeah. Cinematography. The nominees include Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, and The Zone of Interest. I'll tell you what, Oppenheimer's looking like a big favorite, isn't it? Psycho away a lot of BAFTAs. Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if it takes all of them. Yeah, forget forget your smart shoes. Put your trainers on. You're gonna do a lot of walking on the stage and walking off again. <laughs> okay. Um, production design. The nominees include Barbie, Killers of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, The Zone of Interest. So finally, we're gonna get our Barbie Oppenheimer um <laughs> jostling, but it's in production design and not some of the other bigger ones. I mean, <laughs> here's the thing: when it comes to the um, the design. Barbie really killed it because they were using practical effects to transition to different scenes. But then again, Oppenheimer, I mean, this is Christopher, I don't do CGI Nolan. So again, I wouldn't be surprised if he were to take it. Mm, We'll see. Um, Costume design, the nominees include Barbie, Killers of the Flower Moon, Napoleon, Oppenheimer, and Poor Things. I'm noticing a pattern, by the way. Yeah, like a costume design and uh, production design. It's like all the all the back end stuff. Like everyone seems to be getting nominations for, but yeah, no one in the front. Well, mm. At least you know, uh, except for Ryan Gosling and uh, Margot Robbie, which you know, good on them. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, makeup and hair. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Napoleon, uh, Oppenheimer, and Poor Things. Uh, Barbie did not get makeup and hair in this one. 
which is like kind of like a, a, a main function of Bobby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like... You can comb her hair. You can put her makeup on. You can put her. You didn't get nominated for a <laughs> The one. <laughs> I bet you. I bet none of the makeup and hair people are all steaming in their chair. I think. That, <laughs> I bet, oh, I feel bad for Bobby in this one. That's the one thing you would thought they would have got. <laughs> they would have got a nomination for. Oh um... dear. Oh, okay. Um, special visual effects. The nominees are The Creator, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, uh, Mission Impossible, Napoleon, and Poor Things. Oh, wow. Oppenheimer's not in here? Uh, what? Well, I mean, like, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, imagine that Oppenheimer, which is a movie about the making of the atomic bomb. You would expect there to be, like, explosions, and they're not even nominated for that? Mm. Um. Sorry, I just took a drink. Um. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I guess not invited for that either. I guess. I so. mean, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three was the only movie out of the bunch that I saw this year, and yeah, it, their effects were pretty good. So well, maybe I'll I'll go for that one. Okay. Uh, sound. Uh, the nominees include Ferrari, Maestro, Mission Impossible, Oppenheimer, and The Zone of Interest. Hmm. I mean, I Maestro. I've not seen the new Mission Impossible. I have not seen it either. I know that Maestro is supposed to be about Leonard Bernstein, so it's about music and him composing. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe um you know Maestro would win. Hmm. Okay. Uh, British short animation. The nominees include uh Crab Day, uh Visible Mending, and Wild Summon. Oh, we haven't seen any uh nah. short films this year. I can't say I have. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, British short film. Um, I've not seen any of these either, and how did I mean? Like, have you seen any of these uh, festivals? Nope. Festival of Slabs, Gorka, Jelly and Lobster, Such a Lovely Day, and Yellow. Nope, never seen them. Yellow sorry. is a Coldplay song. Oh, cool. It's all yellow. Boo. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, documentary. Um, Twenty Days in Maripol, American Symphony, Beyond Utopia, Still a Michael J. Fox movie, and Wham. No, I, I'm. I haven't seen them. Sadly, I'm really surprised I missed that one. Still, um, I think I should check that out some because I like Michael J. Fox. Yeah, I that'd be that'd be a good one to watch for sure. Okay, and finally, the very bottom is our pretty much our specialty, which is the animated film. So, are you ready for this one, Patricia? Yes. The BAFTA nominees include The Boy and the Heron, Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nuggets, Elemental, and Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. Okay, as somebody who saw. Three out of the four animated films. I still have not seen The Boy in the Harem. Um, that's a really great choice of uh, films. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised if Spider-Verse takes this one. Um, I will. I think Spider-Verse is the safe option, but I think the bias option, I think we'd be doing another nugget. Sure. Mm. It'll either you be know, one I mean, of those it, two. Yeah, exactly. I don't see Elemental being in it. No, and, absolutely uh, not. I, I no. mean, as much as we like Miyazaki, I mean, like, uh, I mean, when was the last time I think Studio Ghibli took home a BAFTA? Like, oh, uh, that's a good question. I don't yeah. know. That's now that's something you Google. Uh, Studio. Yeah, Ghibli. yeah. While you do that, I'm going to take care of the DOG. Okay, then. Well, while you're doing that, uh, look at the BAFTA awards. So the British has put the boy in the heaven center stage. He's been nominated for best anime film, competing against you in vain. But, uh, you know, uh, what's the list of BAFTAs that, uh, I mean, I don't really see. Oh, here's exactly what it was. Okay, BAFTA awards. The Boy and the Heron was a nominee. So I guess I'll tell you what, let's go on Miyazaki, because I think that's pretty much a safe place to say that, you know, where any awards for Studio Ghibli go, I think I'll safely okay. go to him. 
So right, uh, I'm just having a look now. Um, yeah. Oh, um, he was. Uh, let's have a look. Oh, let me watch USA. Any awards? After awards. Here we go. There's only two, and uh, he was. Uh, I think he was nominated. Nominated for both. Only nominated and not. He didn't actually. He never win won. Any. Yeah. So the boy in the heron right now is only Miyazaki's second BAFTA nomination. Oh, wow. His other was one was the... in two. His other one was two thousand four. That was Spirited Away, but Spirited Away was running away with everything, wasn't it? So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, it, it could be his year because I mean, Miyazaki um, won the Golden Globes literally for the first time. So maybe he'll win a BAFTA for the first time. Has Miyazaki been given a Lifetime Achievement Award? Oh, yeah, from... he deserves it. Surely he does. Like uh, you know, all the years he spent in animation and all the beautiful stuff that he's created. Yeah. Yeah. He he does like he does you know like uh, if you know if Jackie Chan can get like you know a, a lifetime achievement award for you know from the Oscars, surely Miyazaki should could get one. That'd be great. Yeah, seriously, let's all campaign for that. Mm. <laughs> anyway, that's the Baftas, so uh, we'll see how that goes. And speaking of the Oscars, I think we'll go straight into them. So the news right now is that uh, voting in the Oscars is now ended. Uh, according to uh, some of the Academy people on Twitter, and uh, the nominations will be announced next week. Yeah. So that's where we are. So, I mean, I guess we could uh, speculate on uh, who do we think is going to the Oscars. Uh, I think well, yeah, I, I mean, I I recently uh, saw a tweet, um, a, tw- uh, a tweet where somebody was predicting that okay. Um, you know, remember that there were 33 animated films that were nominated for a potential uh, Academy Award for Best Animated Film. And according to Disney A promos, they said nominees for Best Animated Feature at five major award ceremonies this year. Five of these movies will be Oscar nominated films next week. And they pointed out nine out of the 13. So... They are Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, The Boy and the Heron, Elemental, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, Nimona, Wish, Suzume, The Super Mario Brothers Movie, and Chicken Run Dawn of the Nugget. I, I totally disagree with Wish being in that list. I really do. You, you know uh, they're, they're going to put it in there because it's obligatory so, oh, Disney. I hate the yeah, politics choice. in the Oscars. I really do. Like, you know, what's Wish done to deserve to be in the, to be even nominated, let alone, you know, be in that? And this is the best animated film as well. Yes. And that, and Wish thinks he has the goal to compete with Nimona and Spider-Verse and, you know, um, and the, all the other ones that we just mentioned as well. Seriously? Nah. Elemental, yeah, but, I, I mean, understand. I would, be, I would be really shocked and surprised if they did very similar to the Annie's in which Wish is not in there at all. I would be shocked if they were to say, okay, we're going to put Elemental as our Disney movie. And we're going to say, okay, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, The Boy and the Heron, Nimona, and maybe the Super Mario Brothers movie or Suzume or The Boy and the Heron will be in there. Uh, but- I could see, Bob. I mean, we're talking about like, you know, the you know the uh, the commotion currently going up in the uh, in the boardroom right now for, for Disney. I could see Bob Iger trying to like, you know, ring off uh, all his uh, contacts, like, you know, a part of the, of the Oscar Academy and saying, please, can you just put Wish in? And like, you know, to save my skin. Um, I can, can, I, I can, can he do that? I can see him pulling favors. I mean, like, uh, we'll, uh, from, from people who have told me about the Oscars, apparently it is pretty rotten from, like, you know, uh, you know, like, uh, people who are, like, a part of the Academy, apparently, you know, uh, you know, I mean, again, like, uh, it's, uh, as far as I'm aware, like, uh, you know, we don't know what happens behind the scenes in regards to that. I wouldn't be too surprised if it happens. You know, like, you know, people try, kind of, like, trying to pat each other on the back, pretty much. Like, uh, 
I mean, keep in mind, Lachatel was in the. Uh, it was it was a nominated for an Oscar. Do you remember that? I know that exactly. Yeah, and uh, I don't. You know, I think we can all say that I didn't deserve to be in there, but it ended up being there anyway. Like, yeah, there's some really questionable, you know, nominations that have happened in 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 uh, in the Oscars. So it won't surprise well, me at all. I, I mean, you might be right. I mean, they they could probably do whatever they can to have Wish in there. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, you know what? A lot of people ask me, like, uh, you know, it's funny. I remember when I had Harry on the, uh, you know, uh, as the co-host of the of the Aaron Matter show, and uh, you know, he was always skeptical about, you know, uh, award nominations. And uh, one of the things I said to him, like, well, I mean, the Nickelodeon Kids Choice Awards that's actually voted by the public, and he's like, oh wow, okay, then let's do it. So like uh, you know, uh, uh, so you know, for a long time I've been saying that you know the Nickelodeon Kids Choice Awards probably has more credibility than the Oscars do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they have best fart as one of their car as car yeah, categories. Yeah, but that that was like over twenty years ago. I know, but still. So, um, going on their predictions of uh, what might happen. So, Barbie effectively is going to be. I think Barbie's gonna is going to be in those categories. You know. Oh, absolutely. Quite... They're probably going to be in there for. Uh, either best original or adapted screenplay. They're definitely going to be there for best actor and best actress. They're definitely going to be there for um, maybe best production design, maybe best hair and makeup. Maybe they will be able to do that, unlike the BAFTAs. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else that they could be. Uh, they could. Well, let's go, let's go through the animated list again. So, I mean, like, I mean, which way obviously we've already discarded. Uh, Elemental, I think, you know, yeah, I'll accept that. So, uh, the boy and a heron, obviously. I mean, yeah, like Miyazaki. Yeah. Miyazaki is a genius. And uh, so, I mean, what are the other ones that are in there as well? Like, okay, so uh, Spider-Man across the Spider Verse. So, so yeah, totally. I think that definitely deserves to be a nominee. Okay. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem. Yeah, I can see that. Okay, Nimona. Yeah, definitely. Suzume. Um, I've not seen it, so I can't comment. But... Okay. Um, the Super Mario Brothers movie. No. Um I, I here's the thing. Bias Nintendo fanboy me would say yes, let it win absolutely everything. Totally, but if I'm being realistic here, um I don't you know the the whole goal and I I, I know I've said this a number of times, the whole goal of the Super Mario Brothers movie was just basically be a Super Mario movie. That's all it needed to be. And uh, so that's not Oscar worthy. Like if like uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie had like an emotional story or like, you know, had some kind of like, you know, connection with, you know, the audience that everyone can relate to, then fair enough. But I don't think many people can relate to an Italian, to you know, an Italian plumber living in Brooklyn who goes into the Mushroom Kingdom. Can yeah. you? No, yeah, like, no. it, it was an experience for a video game, but for like, you know, some of these other movies that are out there, not so much. Right, you know, so uh, I mean, I would say, dare I say, Barbie probably has more, has more connection with the you know the the cinematic audience than the uh, than Super Mario does, and and deservedly so. Like it, it told an interesting story and it came out with an interesting you know message. All right then. Oh. Well, and as for okay, so Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget, it will be really interesting if uh, they were nominated for an Oscar because when was the last time that an Ardman animation film was? Um, good grief, Curse of the Were Rabbit. I think was probably the last one. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. They did win the Oscar for that one. Yeah, they did. So I mean, like, it won't be the first time that uh, they've uh, treaded into Oscar territory. But uh, yeah, but that was oh my gosh, that was almost twenty years ago. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, because uh, I don't think I mean, were they nominated for Pirates Adventures of Scientist? Uh, I don't think so. No. Yeah, neither were they for Arthur Christmas. Early man. No. Definitely not early man. 
Um, so yeah, I think yeah, if if Ardman is able to get themselves into the Oscars again, they could be a contender. I mean, uh, yeah, I'd like to see it, and uh, whether it's generated enough interest enough for it to you know uh, get into that uh, place, I'm not sure. We'll have to see, but uh, yeah, I mean, like uh, I'd like to see Chicken Run Dawn Do- and get in there. Yeah. So. Okay. So the nine films that you see here, what would you like to have as your choices for best animated film? How many choices do we? Uh, how many? How many uh, spaces do we have? For, uh, five. Five. Um, so the Mona is one. Uh, the Boy and the Heron is another. Um, I think I'll stick in Elemental just you know to make Disney happy. Um, we'll put in Spider Verse and uh, hmm, what we're we gonna do with the fifth one? Yeah, I mean the fifth one is either Mutant Mayhem, um, Dawn of the Nugget, the Super Mario Brothers movie, Suzume. Um, hmm. I've not seen Susan May, so I can't. I, so anyone who's uh, you know offended by about what I apologize. I'll put Mutant Mayhem in as the fifth, and there's your okay. five. Okay, that's Me, a good five. Yeah, that is a really good five. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I would put in. I'll probably put in more or less the same thing, except replace Mutant Mayhem, and I'm gonna give. You know what? I'm gonna give Dawn of the Nugget a shot. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I think we're pretty much in agreement. I guess. All right then. So, right. So next week we'll hear about the Oscars, and no doubt we'll be talking about them. So. Yeah, I mean, I know for some people they're like saying, oh, man, what's with the nominations already? I mean, hello, this is January. It's, uh, you know, award season. So please bear with us. Mm-hmm. OK, let's move on to our next story. Um, Apparently um, now here's the thing about this. Before I start this, we're not going into spoilers for this. And uh, um, so we're not going to talk about all the speculation that's going on with this story, but we'll just cover it now just basically to say that we are aware of it. The Sonic the Hedgehog 3 and even the Knuckles storyboards have apparently leaked. Yeah. According to this. Now, here's the thing about this. Um, now, I'm not going to spoil, you know, what the Sonic the Hedgehog 3 and the Knuckles, you know, um, uh, movies are potentially going to be about or what's going to happen or, you know, in these storyboards. I've not seen them myself, actually. Uh, apparently, uh, Sega's been going around putting season desist orders all around the place. To yeah. Make sure that nobody sees them. So, obviously, you know, uh, I'm very late to the party in, in all that regard. But here's the thing. So, um, their storyboards, like, you know, uh, do you remember the Ghost of the Were-Rabbit when we saw the early storyboards for that? You know, going, yes. to, going back on that subject. And do you remember, like, the, the original ending of the Ghost of the Were-Rabbit was going to be that, uh, you know, um, uh, Lady Tottington was going to get, for some reason, was going to get married to, like, you know, the the, the police officer, like Stephen K, was, so Peter K. Yeah, was I playing. remember. And then, yeah. And uh, so, and then Laura's basically saying, oh, it never always works out. And so there's this inkling that, you know, uh, they were going to continue on the Wallace, you know, Totty relationship. But uh, obviously, they never touched that in, in the original movie. And so when they finally came to the final product. So what I would say with that is like, there's a lot of storyboards I go around. Also, there's the one where uh, Mr. Incredible was uh, going to like tackle like a, a, a guy on um, a bike in the Incredibles and stuff like that. And like, also on top of that, there was even uh, storyboards that uh, got out that, uh, you know, said that uh, Syndrome was going to be, you know, orig- going to be like announced at the very beginning of the movie. And there was going to be like this conversation with like, you know, uh, Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl and the baby. And everything like that, but obviously that didn't happen, and obviously the you know we didn't get that scene, you know, and it was even changed around the whole story, you know, towards the final acts and everything like that. So I would warn everybody that just because they're storyboards doesn't mean that they are the final product. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of changes that could come to like you know when they finally get to the final thing. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you remember when Insomniac was hacked, 
and a lot of their stuff was leaked including um you know the future game which was going to be wolverine and they said this is just like the early you know concept we don't we're not 100 percent sure if any of the stuff that um is you know that was leaked online is going to be made into the final game i mean this stuff happens all the time in which like you know when storyboards or animatics or concept art is shown to the public and it doesn't a hundred percent follow up to what is going to be in when you see the movie i mean scoob for example was leaked online by somebody on um on the internet and um a lot of the stuff that was said about a year before scoob came out was correct with the exception of several things such as more of an emphasis of including more characters from hanna-barbera because scoob was supposed to be the first movie in a Hanna-Barbera cinematic universe but then they decided to focus more on um Dick Dastardly and Muttley and then maybe a little cameo from Captain Caveman there was supposed to be a lot more than that there was supposed to be more characters from wacky races there was supposed to be like a major epic scene with uh, a race but that never happened so yeah just because there's a lot of storyboards and concept art and concept uh, scripts and all that kind of stuff that is leaked online doesn't automatically mean that it's going to stick to the final product. I mean, there's a lot of instances in which there's going to be like, you know, more drafts or um, more rewrites or more um, fully realized art that is going to be in the movie or the TV show that you're going to be watching. So, yeah, I wouldn't read into it, people. Yeah, exactly. So my advice is, is that, uh, I mean, if you've seen the storyboards and you're a bit angry that, you know, you feel like you've been spoiled and like, you know, the future, you know, something the Hedgehog projects, I would just say like, you know, uh, my advice would be this. Um, they're not the final product. They're just storyboards. You know, wait till you get to the movie and where they figure out whether they're actually true. There's still a reason to go and watch the movie, you know, like you don't know if what you've seen is actually going to be final or not. You don't know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would say, you know, pay your money, go and sit in the theater and actually go find out for yourself whether that's actually what's going to happen or not. And then after that, you can go on your social media account and complain about how bad it was <laughs> right. or whatever, you know, so mm -hmm. or how much you liked it, you know, who knows where we'll go with it. But anyway, so that's all I've got to say about it, really. OK, then. OK. Um, we want to give a shout out to Wonka because uh, they have hit the sweet spot. They have hit uh, five hundred million dollars globally at the box office with their hit movie. So yeah, can you believe it that it was able to beat off Wonka? Uh, I mean, it, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It, it made four hundred and seventy-five million dollars back in two thousand five, and no other Roald Dahl adaptation was even close of matching it because they were all underperforming or box office failures. So now that we actually, if I'm wrong, is this now the highest-grossing Roald Dahl adaptation? Yes, it is. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it, it's but... incredible. Like the fact that it took eighteen years for another Roald Dahl adaptation to beat it. I mean, since then. We've had, um, let's see, the BFG, the 2016 version of the BFG, and we had Roald Dahl's The Witches and Matilda the Musical. So none of them were able to make over $400 million, not even close. And the fact that Wonka came in and nobody was expecting this movie to be good. Everybody was saying, you can't top the original Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. It's a classic. Nothing can ever beat it. And look what happened. Everybody loved the movie. They were pleasantly surprised about how magical and whimsical it was and, and how wholesome it was. And, and the proof is in the pudding. 
it made five hundred million dollars. It's yeah. amazing. It and we both saw the movie in theaters a week before most people did in America. And the fact that we were genuinely surprised about how it was and the, the amount of people who came in to watch it, it's incredible. And it was sold out on the on the evening. So we were lucky to you we were lucky actually to like, you know, have the time to actually go and see it ourselves. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. You know, it makes me wonder about the future because obviously they've got a success on their hands now. And uh, it, it, now it makes you wonder how are they going to capitalize on it or are they going to capitalize on it? I mean, is Charlemagne now going to basically be, you know, Wonka effectively for, you know, every other Royal Doll adaptation or like any other Wonka project that they do? And uh, they're going to want to, like, you know, bring him in for like you know future things so i mean here's the thing about this like they've got a really good money spinner on there and dare i say like what's the one thing that you and i have been hoping that's you know out of uh, all the raw dell projects that they would do that we hope they were gonna do what's that great grass elevator yeah they haven't done <laughs> would, it yet would this, would this actually be the one to make great glass elevator exactly yeah i mean like i would say there was justification for it. i mean here's the thing about this though i mean like if they did it it would be in a very awkward position because keep this in mind great glass elevator is a sequel to the charlie and the chocolate factory like it's when you know uh they are in the in in the in the elevator and they've all gone off out into the factory and everything so it's basically based on that yes. so the problem with that would be is that you can't obviously age Charlemagne, you know uh to oh right over the you know and then have him like meet charlie like have like skip you know the the chocolate trip where we were on the chocolate factory altogether you can't really do that yeah so, so you're that, gonna that, have that to somehow means... engineer it to like be after basically he founded the factory yeah, so that means that maybe there'll be a second film where they adapt Harley and the Chocolate Factory. Um, I mean, um, given the fact that I didn't, I mean, given the fact I think that, so you know, um, I don't know how to feel about that. Like, you know, because what Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was two thousand five, yes. wasn't it? So it's been it's been over um seventeen years, I think, if I'm if I'm correct in saying that, or. Um, it's been uh, eighteen. Eighteen years. Okay, so it's old. It's old enough to drink. Uh, so yes. um, I guess I mean, can you say that you? Okay, well, now that we've done that, we're now going to do Charlie and the Chocolate Factory again, or like you I know, mean, and, uh, it, it has it has been a while at this point. I mean, the the transition between Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was about thirty four years. So I wouldn't be surprised if. Okay, let's just say that they are going to do it. Maybe they're going to take a few years and it'll be over 20 years since then. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they want to do like a, a an installment where, you know, Timothy Chalamet is going to be a much more older, much more experienced Wonka. And they're going to have like a new cast of Charlie Bucket, Augustus Gloob, Mike TV, Veruca Sol, Violet Beauregard going into the factory. And, you know, then eventually, you know, Charlie wins. And then finally we get Great Glass Elevator in which they're you know, Charlie and Willie go over to the Great Glass Elevator and fly around and go into space and meet up with the President of the United States. So I wouldn't if if they were to see the amount of money that this movie had made, I wouldn't be surprised if they decide that this is going to be what we're going to do. Hmm. I mean, I don't know how I'd feel about it because obviously, like, you know, the uh, the space between Wonka and Charlie and Chocolate Factory, I've got to be honest, is also quite immense in itself. And on top of that as well, like, uh, you sort of kind of like you have to have, like, you know, um, 
this is just my opinion. Tell me, tell me, Patricia, if I'm being too OCD about this. But I feel like even with going from Wonka to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I still feel like there needs to be something in between of bridging, you know, Charlemagne's character from where he was in Wonka to where he then gets to in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I don't know. There's, there's part of me that feels like there's still a story to be told, of like, you know, when he finally opened the factory and he did all these wonderful things, and then obviously he was, you know, um, he obviously then brought in the Oompa Loompas to uh, obviously work in the factory, and then he basically cleared everybody out because he was worried about, like, you know, um, people stealing secrets from him. I mean, it, it is true that there is another story arc that we do see from, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, like all the stories that Grandpa Joe told about, you know, the the time that he was able to make a huge castle for Prince Pondicherry and the time in which when the factory was just doing so well with brand new creations that Slugworth and everybody else was just feeling so angry that they're being overtaken. And so they have this huge conspiracy of... Excuse me. Excuse me. Stealing the recipes. Hmm. So maybe we actually get that story arc. Yeah, it's just it's. Uh, I mean, like uh, I guess it's sort of like you know you have you know um, it's not going to feel like Star Wars when you really think about it. Like you know you've got a New Hope, which was Wonka. You got the Empire Strikes Back, which is like you know uh, the middle movie in between Wonka and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and then you got Return of the Jedi, which is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. The what makes Ray Glass Elevator. Um, oh, good grief! It makes <laughs> it makes it the Phantom Menace. <laughs> oh no! Phantom Menace is a prequel. I know. Well, no, it doesn't make it the fun. Oh, it doesn't make it that. Oh no, it makes it. What do we call it? Um, the Force Awakens. The Force Awakens, doesn't it? Which is like, yeah, like, that was like Star Wars getting back on track, I guess. But uh, huh, I don't know. Like, uh, I would say that yeah, it just it just feels like there needs to be something in between Wonka and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory to like bridge it over to that gap. In okay. a way, and then so, you get to Great Glass Elevator, I guess. Wait, okay. that's that's what we're like. Oh, great! So Great Glass Elevator right now is ten years down the line. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> I'll see it when that, I'm. That, that, I'll see that it when I'm fifty. Yeah. I mean, I, w I wouldn't be surprised if maybe that's going to be the next uh, bit of the story in which if they really want to stretch out Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, okay, it's, it's going to be like, okay, Wonka finally has his factory. And now he's going to be hugely successful. He's going to be called in from people all over the world to make all of these great concoctions. He's going to be called in by the Prince of Pondicherry. And he's going to be called in by a whole bunch of people saying, can you make this creation for me? And Willie's going to be like, yeah, sure, absolutely. And then, you know, people like Slugworth are going to be hiring people or scheming people from people who work at the factory saying, I want this ingredient. I want this recipe. And then they're going to be doing a whole bunch of copycats on their stores. And then Wonka has to forcibly shut down his factory. And then the movie ends right there. And then Charlie the Chocolate Factory takes place years after the shutdown. And then finally it opens up again with the Oompa Loompas. So if it's going to be leading up to that, I mean, would we actually have like a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory slash Wonka trilogy or quadrilogy? Hmm. I don't know. He's like, uh, there seems to be a potential for a Wonka cinematic universe, doesn't there? Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about that over the years. It's like there's oh, a lot good, of great. Cool can, you imagine, can, you, can you imagine the Augustus Gloop spinoff? No. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> oh man, like yeah, but you know, I think the the bottom line of this story is that uh, Wonka is successful and they've got a success on their hands, and now there's a possibility for them to capitalize on it. And what are they yes. going to do? 
Yeah, um, what so are they going to do? Are they just going to like leave it right there? And, you know, uh, I mean, if you remember, Tim Burton was wanting to do Great Glass Elevator, but it never happened. So, well, I mean, this isn't Tim Burton, is it? Who's basically done Wonka, is yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I, mean, I, I mean, exactly. That was uh, Paul King. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, they would, uh, it would be kind of a, uh, well, here's the thing. If they did bring in um, Tim Burton to do Great Glass Elevator, it'd be kind of a jarring kind of like, you know, uh, you know. It's it's already too late at this point. Yeah, I know. And, uh, but uh, it would just make me wonder um, if they decided, okay, well, we're not going to bring Paul King in for like the next Wonka project, but we'll bring in Tim Burton to do like another, you know, idea for it. I don't know. It'd no, be, uh... it, 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 I, like I said, if it would have happened back in maybe 2007 or 8, you know, when Charlie and the Chocolate Factory made over $475 million, I could see that happening. But at this point in time, since it's been 18 years, nah, I don't think so. Tim Burton has already moved on. Um, if Paul King really wants to continue on with the Wonka success, then... They better do it soon because um, right now, as for Roald Dahl adaptations, the only thing we have is the Twits, and that's not coming out until next year. Yeah, and uh, well, I mean, like, I'm interested to see what they do with the Twits. I think uh, that's gonna that's gonna be interesting, you know. Uh, thing to the cover. only thing we have so far is just the concept art. Yeah, but uh, I mean, obviously that can change. So yeah, exactly. I mean, just like Sonic Three Knuckles storyboards. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, congratulations to all the people at Wonka. I mean, great that they did $500 million, and I really hope that they're going to do something else soon. So, yeah, for sure. Cool. Okay, so uh, we're up to uh, Cartoon Network's uh, building signage being sold off on eBay, which is uh, a really sad thing to think about, really. So uh, yeah. basically, they're carving up the corpse and, uh, you know, we're sending it out to people, you know, as mementos of like, uh, yeah, Warner Brothers did this. <laughs> So um, isn't it just absolutely awful that something that has meant a lot to people for over 23 years, um, a studio that was known for making some of the best cartoons ever, everything from Adventure Time, Steven Universe and Codename Kids Next Door and various other shows is just being taken apart for people to buy. It's it's I, I don't even know what to think of it. It's just awful. I hate to think what they're doing with the copper wiring, but uh... Yeah, it's just it's uh, so. And the only other thing, the only thing I could remember is that, uh, and forgive me if I'm going back into uh, my personal authentisms, uh, which is uh, at one point um, the stadium had a, a football pitch that was basically made out of plastic, effectively like it was astroturfing, you know, like mm -hmm. uh, so that, that's how it was made. And then eventually uh, the, the decision was made basically to go back to grass and uh, to go to like a, you know a, a proper like he heated pitch. And so what happened was is that uh, they um, some fans actually pulled up the old plastic pitch like uh, to uh, keep as mementos. And uh, back then it kind of made sense to do that because you know the uh, the it was like an end of an era pretty much like you know and it's nice to have like you know a part of the surf of Deepdale to like you know keep as your own you know and uh, where you know in regards to that so. Um, that's the only other thing I could think of in regards to that. But, you know, this is, it'd be understandable if Cartoon Network Studios are like, oh, hey, we're moving or like, oh, hey, we're changing everything up. And so therefore we're giving away like, you know, bits and pieces of it. Like, you know, was uh, like, you know, remember like the old site, but given the fact that Cartoon Network Studios has closed down and, you know, they've moved things elsewhere. And, uh, now basically it just, it just feels wrong. It does. Yeah. I'm just going to read off what it says on Cartoon Brew. It says, um, once the Cartoon Network building was officially closed, Cartoon Network hired J Square General Contractors, Inc. to oversee that the building was converted 
From the magical, entertaining, crazy spaces to an office building, J-Square hired Western Sign and Awning to take actual uh, pictures of the building so that they can be able to take the signs into consideration. Those one side was for Palm Avenue side of the building, and the other one was for Third Street side of the building. One of the signs was a bit larger, tends to two different size options. Um, he then purchased the signs from Western Sign and Awning. I watched as each letter was gently removed from the corner of Palm Avenue and North Third Street. The letters were taken across the street and had been sitting inside a temperature-controlled room. So... I mean, just the fact that yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the eBay auction right now, and it says right here that the original Cartoon Network sign from the Burbank building, um, it says right here that um, that they're all out of stock, like all the the, the letters were out of stock. Mm. Uh, somebody paid three hundred dollars for it. Yeah, and uh, it's just sad, you know, like yeah, and, uh... and then as for the original Cartoon Network sign for famous Burbank building letter C and N, uh, somebody paid one thousand. Uh, well, it's currently still a bid as of the making of this podcast. It'll be a bid um, up until maybe within the next few weeks or so, but it's currently on bid for a thousand and fifty dollars. Yeah. So, um, I mean. I mean, I hope whoever buys it enjoys it. And uh, but uh, I mean, if anything, it's just going to be a sad reminder about of uh, what you know, what Warner, you know, what Warner Brothers Discovery did to Cartoon Network Studios. Uh it's just this. Uh, yeah, it's, it it just feels it just feels wrong talking about this and uh, the uh, just the it just feels unjustified about what they've done. It really does, and. Uh, you know, like uh, Cartoon Network Studios was just such, you know, um, uh, I, I, it always feels like a death. It really does. Like, you know, uh, and not only that, like, you know, we're talking about how, like, you know, they're basically, you know, cutting up the corpse and, you know, giving out to people. Like, you know, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, that's just how I feel about it. I mean, yeah, like, it, yeah, it, sure. it kind of, it feels for a lot of Nickelodeon fans, it feels like when you, uh, Nickelodeon Studios was shut down and it was replaced by the Blue Man Group. Well, but here's the thing, like, uh, I mean, Cartoon Network, I mean, Nickelodeon Studios, if you remember at the time, I mean, like, uh, it was getting to be, you know, a pretty dated place uh, at the time. I mean, you and I have nostalgic feelings towards, uh, you know, uh, Nickelodeon Studios. Of course, of course we do. Like, uh, and uh, it would have been nice if I actually had the opportunity to actually go see it before it was uh, all taken away. But, uh, you know, um, things moved on and, you know, um, Nickelodeon Studios eventually moved into, you know, bigger into a bigger place and uh, was able to amp their production because of it. So it made sense to move out of Nickelodeon Studios. That I can understand. But this is a, like a complete shutdown that we're talking about mm -hmm. here or basically just taking whatever was there and moving it into Warner Brothers animation and now yeah. you know with all the talk about potentially going around that you know Paramount might now get involved I mean like uh, how do you know Warner Brothers animation is still going to be hanging around how do you know they might just like say oh we're going to shut that down too and we're going to move everything over to Nickelodeon because they know what they're doing jeez uh, man that would, that would be so awful because we've done such a poor job of managing it you mm -hmm. know and Nickelodeon knows what they're doing somewhat yeah yeah, you know, it, it's actually just a, a sad thing that a lot of people are seeing what is essentially the end of an era for Cartoon Network. It used to be a case in which when when they started back in the 90s that, you know, it used to be a case in which that, you know, Ted Turner had purchased the rights to all the Hanna-Barbera, MGM and Warner Brothers cartoons. And they need, just needed a place for them to just play constantly 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And then around the mid 90s, you know, we had What a Cartoon, which was eventually able to spun off and create 
its own original projects. And then when Hanna-Barbera shut down around the 2000s, that was when they went in-house and created some of the greatest animated shows of all time. I mean, at one point, it was able to give Nickelodeon a run for its money for a lot of the creative stuff that they were able to pull out. And that's over. Yeah. Well, we, I think the, if you remember the original idea, I think of Cartoon Network was obviously, yeah, Ted Turner wanted to, uh, you know, have a place where, you know, they, they finally got all of this library. And because, you know, some of the stuff that was there was very rarely ever, ever to be shown on television. Like, you know, it was a pretty unique event for, like, you know, Bugs Bunny cartoons to, like, appear, like, you know, on, on, a, major, on a major TV network. At the it time, was because, yeah. like, uh, you know, this had never been done before. It never been, you know, been made for TV. And then all of a sudden, the Looney Tunes came in, and uh, you know, uh, pretty much took over the nineties, nearly, uh, pretty much when uh, their, you know, uh, you know, cartoons were basically being uh, put on. Because you know, back in the time, like, uh, you know, if you were lucky enough to, like, you know, get a, a reel of a, a film, so like, you know, play on a projector. I mean, like, that was somewhat almost, you know, only only other way you could watch a Looney, a Warner Brothers cartoon or a Looney mm -hmm. Tunes cartoon at the time like you know it wasn't until they transferred it over to tape and transferred it over to you know broadcast that people had that luxury to be able to like watch you know looney tunes cartoons in their own homes effectively right. so i think this is the thing i think a lot of people don't realize i think about you know with a modern day because you know um we some of our nostalgia you know comes back from other people's nostalgia of like going to the theater and playing a nickel to like you know watch a you know a five minute mindless cartoon effectively yeah, I mean so, that's yeah. that's what it used to be back then. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the, that was the only way you could get entertainment, unless you like, you know, you did other thing else in your childhood. And by the way, you know that that demographic is uh, <laughs> not not within our podcast, so we're not going to go too further into that. But uh, no. yeah, I mean the, the the thing the point I was making is is that uh, Cartoon Network obviously was set up to obviously repeat these shows, but at the same time, it was there to eventually be so it could create its own cartoon. That's the reason why Modern Cartoon was so important because obviously that was going to bring in the next generation of Cartoon Network and their own cartoon library effectively. Right. And they, they they built all of that. That's why we've got, we've got Dexter's Lab and Powerpuff Girls, Johnny Bravo, I Am Weasel, you know, Cow and Chicken, that that that, that whole crew. You know, like mm -hmm. that was a golden age uh, for, for Cartoon Network. It and, was. Uh, yeah. So for everyone who's wondering why we're so nostalgic for it, well, that's it. Like, you know, if you go back in the Cartoon Network library, it's fa it's fantastic. It really is. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. So, yeah, but, uh, you know, I guess if you want to own a little bit of piece of history, then, you know, uh, go over to eBay and try and buy whatever you can, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, just it's, uh, you know, you know what's going to be interesting? Like, uh, I mean, I don't know if this has already happened or not, but, uh, you know, um, Gray Barlett right now, he's uh, selling, like, the stills, like, you know, like the, the, um, uh, so it's like, you know, the, um, oh, the sell art. The sell art. Yeah. He's uh, starting to do that now, like, on Etsy. And uh, also in other places. So uh, yeah, yeah. Interesting to see like if uh, that starts to come in around now. Like you know, if they found some of the original cells, like some of the other cards, you know, they they start appearing on eBay or they start appearing like you know in other places. That yeah, I, I know that um, there's actually an art gallery known as the Cricket in Los Angeles, where you know some of the um, old cartoons are being sold, and they, it used to be like you know old uh, cell art and concept art and rough drawings. Um, everything from Ren and Stimpy, Rugrats and Doug and Beavis and Butthead and various other shows have been sold there. And depending on how much money you're willing to spend, I mean, like, you know, some of the cheaper stuff is definitely like the rough art. But then something like a sell art based off of like a, an iconic um, episode is going to cost a lot more. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe somewhere down the line, we're probably going to get more of that stuff later on. But I mean, I, I, I'm not sure. I mean... 
if um if they are willing to like you know continue to desecrate on Cartoon Network's legacy by just selling a whole bunch of stuff that they just found in the studio and just like say you know whatever little amount of money we were able to make from this we're just going to call it a day which is going to be even more heart wrenching for a lot of fans who grew up with Cartoon Network but I'm just like looking into this as saying like you know there's just been a lot of things going on in the industry that is just absolutely heart wrenching, especially for those who are animation fans. It's like, you know, a lot of these people have to basically be truncated into Warner Brothers Animation, which is currently in an unknown stance at this point, but considering of all the projects that have been canceled or turned into tax write offs. So, I don't know. I mean, it's looking pretty rough. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Anyway, um, how about we uh, brighten up a little bit, maybe? Maybe get a bit weird. Yeah, let, let's let's do so, please. Yeah. CBR.com did the 10 weirdest animated shows. Oh, this ought to be fun. Uh, CBR.com always provides, you know, interesting lists. So uh, I think... Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm curious about this because I have seen my fair share of weird animated shows, especially with anime. So I'm curious to see what they consider to be weird animated shows. By the way, um, this l list was apparently... I'm trying to think when it was originally posted up because it says it's been updated six days ago. So okay. apparently updated on January 15th of 2024 by Chelsea Steele. Animation is a unique form of media that has offered up uh, some of the most creative and experimental ideas throughout the years. As a result, many animated shows have gone from very weird directions, setting up apart from other forms of entertainment, from kids' shows to adults to cartoons and everything in between. Animation is never af afraid of getting a little bizarre in its storytelling. So, Patricia, are you ready for the 10 most bizarre uh, animated shows? I'm curious. Let's do this. Okay. Number 10 in this list is Angela, Angela Anaconda. Okay. Angela Anaconda... It looks weird because it was basically an homage to Terry Gilliam cartoons with the, the paper cutouts. And there are some like weird, quirky moments, yes. But for the most part, it's just a slice of life cartoon with Angela, who's just basically telling about her story of her everyday life, going to school and being with her family and that kind of stuff. I think when people think about Angela and Anaconda, they obviously think about them going over to seeing the Digimon movie and then Angela and Anaconda transforms to Angelamon. So yeah, I mean, that is pretty weird. But then again, it is supposed to be a promotion for the Digimon you movie. Recall, like, I mean, I'm sure we had this conversation before. Angela and Anaconda originally was on Kablam. It was, remember. yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, it's so weird that somehow, it, well, I mean, I guess Doug made the jump from Nickelodeon to Disney, so I probably shouldn't be too surprised that you know, Angela Anaconda made the jump from you know Nickelodeon over to Cartoon Network. And uh, and the Proud Family was originally pitched for Nickelodeon, but then it went over to the Disney Channel. Well, I mean, so was Adventure Time, if you remember. Yes. And then that went to Cartoon Network. So, right. I mean, like, so, yeah. yeah. It, this is, I mean, I know, I know we've brought this all the time before, but there's been a lot of times where Nickelodeon is like, imagine if they kept some of these shows, like The Owl House, The Proud Family, you know, uh, you know, uh, Maybe kids enjoy. I don't know, but you know some of these other shows that you know Nickelodeon would be dominating the kid, the kids market. Like you know, mm. where because I know Disney wouldn't get a look in. Yeah, wow. it, it kind of reminds me of the time in which when Ed and Eddie was being pitched over by either Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network, and then Cartoon Network was literally the first one who picked it up like 45 minutes later. Imagine if Cartoon Network were pretty slow in it and then Nickelodeon picked it up. I mean, where would it be at this point? Yeah, well, you wouldn't dare pitch anything to Warner Brothers now, given the fact they might, might get written off for tax purposes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so Angela Anaconda. Yes, it is a bit of a um, odd show, but not necessarily weird. I've seen weirder. Mm, I guess. Okay, number nine in this list is Courage the Cowardly Dog. Okay, yes, it is spooky. I mean, here's the thing. I I'll, I know about Courage the Cowardly Dog from the What a Cartoon pilot where the chicken came from outer space. I have never seen the show at all. I just know of it from clips online. And 
Yeah, it is really weird. I mean, you have like these strange creatures from outer space or creatures who are just like living in the basement or who knows where they come from. And they do have like these weird moments that it cuts between like live action and animated or stop motion and animated or anything of the sort. And they do have like some weird moments that just come out of nowhere. So yeah, it is, I would say, yeah, it is pretty weird. Yeah. It's okay. spooky and weird at the same time. Yeah. Okay. Number eight in this list is Beyond of the Yukon. Oh, I've never seen that show. Is that a Canadian show? Uh, yeah, it tells the story of a French explorer living in a in a modern world. Yeah, I, I've, I'm not too familiar with that yeah, show. Yeah, so Beyond of the Yukon is uh, better remembered for its catchy theme song in the series itself. The Canadian animation followed the frozen French chap explorer uh, Vion uh, after he fought 300 years later into the new world, like Captain America, but without the heroism and charm. Okay, so sort of like Encino Man then. Maybe. Okay, okay well, uh, uh, again, I've never seen it. Yeah. Number seven in this list is Chowder. Yeah, Chowder is kind of strange, yeah. It's definitely a show very similar to, like, Courage, in which it plays around with the animation. Sometimes it's stop motion. Sometimes it's puppets. Sometimes they actually break into live action where they have the voice actors come in after they run out of budget. So, yeah, it is a fairly weird show, but it's very quirky and it's very fun. So, yeah, I would say that that's a pretty good one. Cool. Number six in this list is uh, Smiling Friends. Okay, I have heard of Smiling Friends. I'm familiar with it. It's an adult swim show where it's done by um, Michael Cusack and Psychic Pebbles. And yeah, their stuff on Newgrounds is weird. So I can imagine that, hey, let's do a show for adults and let's just make it as like a Newgrounds animated series. Let's make I've it really weird. I've been poked by people to like you watch this show, so I'm not a chance to actually check it out myself yet. But uh, yeah, I do understand it has a big following. Yes, that. yes, I have heard about this show as well, and I know that it's a beloved show that has become one of the more popular recent Adult Swim shows. So yeah, I haven't seen it yet either, but I've heard some people talking about it. Yeah. Uh, number five in this list is Disney's Dave the Barbarian. Yeah, Dave the Barbarian is very weird as well. It, it breaks the fourth wall constantly. There's a lot of like odd jokes and stuff. Um, yeah, it's very quirky. I, I, it does have a lot of weird moments, yes, but it's it's trying to be a comedy. That's what essentially. I mean, is. I might be wrong about this, but is it on Disney Plus? Dave the Barbarian. I think it might be. Yeah. Um, I'm just checking this out. Yeah, go ahead, um, go for it. Let's have a look. Um, uh, watched and uh, watched. oh, it's not on Disney Plus. Oh no, I mean like uh, yeah, that's interesting. Like uh, yeah, you can watch it on YouTube. But yeah, on, you can watch on it on Retro YouTube, TV. but it's not on Red. But it's not on Disney Plus. But then again, well, House of Mouse is not on Disney Plus. Yeah, I mean like it was there any like you know third party content on Dave the Barbarian? Like, not that know, I like, know of. Music videos and stuff like that. Yeah, that's the only thing so. I can think of. That's the reason why it's not on 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 there. But yeah, I mean I can understand that. something like Muppet Babies not being up on Disney Plus because of all the third party stuff they have to work with, but not Dave the Barbarian. Hmm. Also, okay. Okay. Um, number four on this list is Robot Chicken. <laughs> yeah, that is strange amongst itself. I mean, well, at it's least just it's like... hilarious. It's not like you know a weirding out kind of like thing. At least some of the, at least some of the, well, at least in the later seasons, yeah, it has become quite weird and kind of like you know not as funny. But I mean, in the late, in the earlier seasons, yeah, I would say that is pretty good. Yeah, exactly. It's not necessarily weird. It does go into a lot of places. It's very funny. It's very dark. It's very depressing. So yeah, not necessarily weird. I would say. 
Yeah, I, I love the intro. Like the intro is great. Like you know, it's how the how did the chicken cross the road and like because it gets to the other side and like the kid like the chicken is dead in the in the middle of the road and the side yes. not picks it up and like creates it into like the robot chicken. Yeah, and does a clockwork orange reference where he basically is just like strapping him to a chair, opening up his eyes for him to watch a whole bunch of television shows and commercials. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, number three in this list is Cyber Chase. Cyber Chase. I'm familiar with the show. I think it's a PBS show. Yeah, it went on for like 14 seasons. Good grief. Yes, it did. Yeah. I, I mean, I know that Gilbert Godfrey plays as the Purple Bird, and they actually had to get somebody to replace him after he passed away. So I know that it's about like, it's a sci-fi series that's also educational that teaches about math and stuff like that, but... I don't know anything about that show other than just that. Yeah, I guess it technically counts, I guess, but you can get, like, you know, if, if the way that you're... Again, I, I also, on top of that, there's no preview on this uh, website as well. The video's not available in my country, so I guess, okay, I, then. We, I guess we don't get Cyber Chase at all. All right, then. So. That's fine. Okay. Uh, number two in this list is Mr. Meaty. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yes, that show is weird. It's a, it's a puppet anime it's a puppet show that was aired on nickelodeon that has some of the most horrendous looking puppets that you'll ever see it's about these two slacker teenagers who work at a uh fast food restaurant yeah i'm not watching the show i'm not watching the show myself but i'm aware of the tapeworm episode that's oh, all God. i can say yeah. that, that show is uh, yeah i do agree that show is just so weird it's so gross and it, it does you humor stupid it's it's I mean, I know it's an acquired taste for some people. They actually say that Mr. Meaty is like a an underrated cult classic, but I don't agree. I don't like it at all. <laughs> OK, so, yeah, I'm sorry. Right. Um. Here's the number one out of the 10. By the way, we're talking about some weird shows for yes. the top 10. The number one weirdest show, according to CBR.com, is Reboot. Reboot. I mean, that's a weird show. I mean, like it, it's experimental. I would say because, like, you know, it was one of the very few shows that had CGI in it. It was the first CGI animated series. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Reboot was a Canadian animated TV series that followed uh, Bob Dot and Young Enzo uh, in so they can keep the world ma mainframe free from the sentient viruses like a megabyte and hexadecimal. You know, like uh, it's just this. Uh, you know, I thought it was a pretty cool show. Yeah, it's a cool like, show, but I wouldn't say it's weird. It was weird in places, but not necessarily like you know, the overarching thing of the show. Like, you know, yeah. you, could, you could get the premise. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. This list was terrible. No no anime was ever mentioned in those. Like, if you want to watch weird anime, go watch stuff like uh Bobo Bobo. Well, to be fair, I think or... if we I think if we were including anime into this, I think it would take over the entire list, to be honest. Sure, but yeah, I mean, like, no Jungle Wa Itsumo Halinochigu or Abinobashi Magical Shopping Arcade. Like, I those stuff is maybe they were just focusing on weird. Maybe they were focusing on Western animation. I probably imagine. Okay, so even with Western animation, I mean, Beavis and Butthead is weird. Uh, I mean, there's uh, if you're gonna go for a Canadian show, Chicken Town is weird. It's a piece of garbage, but it's still weird. All Real Monsters was pretty weird. Yeah, Our Real Monsters is a very weird show. Absolutely. Cow and Chicken is a very weird show. So yeah, there are a lot more weirder shows out there. Uncle Grandpa is a very weird show. You know what I would say about this list? I would call it weird and obscure. Like, doesn't that, doesn't that feel like a better description? Weird and obscure shows. Because, mm. like, you know, not many people I would say have heard of Angelina Anaconda, and not many people I would say have heard of uh, Beyond of the Yukon, and not many people would have said, said they've heard of uh, you know, David the Barbarian. 
So, uh, it feels more like, you know, they're just going for like, you know, they put in like a couple of like shows that people will probably be familiar with, but then sprinkled in some shows that people really wouldn't have remembered all that well. Okay, well, fair enough. Yeah, seems more okay, like weird then. and obscure to me. All right, then that's that's the case. Okay, I'm sure. Cool. All right, then. Um, We've got a really bit of strange news here, which uh, we didn't really see. I guess we should probably have seen coming, but uh, here it is. Sports Illustrated uh, publisher has decided to lay off its entire staff. Yeah. So, so this is courtesy of CNN, where they t uh, basically just announced saying that they pretty much laid most, if not all, of their staff of the Sports Illustrated magazine. So for those who don't know, it's a monthly magazine that highlights a lot of sports like football, basketball, baseball. They get um, a lot of sneak previews of to upcoming events like the Super Bowl or the World Series or something like that. And they interview people who are some of the best in the sports genre. So um, yeah, Authentic Brand Group's owned Sports Illustrated back in 2019 and sold the publishing rights to Arena Group. But the company missed a recent payment of those publishing rights and Authentic Brands Group had revoked them. And then um, they terminated the license of Arena because it didn't pay the quarterly fee despite giving a notice of breach and an opportunity to cure the breach. And so then afterwards, uh, Arena Group and a spokesperson for the five-hour energy drink, Manoj Bargava, uh, did not immediately respond to the comments regarding about this. And then afterwards, there was this whole unionizing thing. And then, um, then there was like even talks about like they wanted to replace some of the writers with AI. But yeah, for the most part, um, Sports Illustrated is in a conundrum where pretty much almost everybody is gone, and um, it's looking pretty bleak for the magazine. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, from what I understand, apparently they're going to be taking that, that all the sports, you know, um, part of the Sports Illustrated and, and, and incorporate it into GQ magazine. That's yeah. my that's my understanding of it. Yeah, that, that's also another thing that's been announced too. Yes. By the way, um, a lot of people uh, have on online have basically been pointing out that so you know, oh well, uh, if they hadn't put like you know a trans person on the cover, or if they hadn't put like you know, um, oh you know, uh, well, they put like plus size uh, models on Sports Illustrated, they you know, all those people wouldn't have cancelled. It's like just think about this for a second. If the only thing that was kicking subscriptions was bikini models. You know, like, uh, what does that say about the rest of Sports Illustrated? Um, wow, not very much to say the least. Like, you know, oh hey, I there's a pretty picture of a woman in a bikini on the front. I better subscribe and like, you know, pay like a whole year's worth of you know, annual subscription. Like, really? It's yeah. Like, I, I'm sorry. I'm I'm just confused because there's a lot of magazines that have women in bikinis that you can be able to look into. There's Maxim. There's... Hey, babe, there's, I can do even one better. Do you know there's places on the internet where women wear no clothing at all? Oh, God, no, please. And in other places that, you know, they have sex with guys? Oh, God, please, no. Yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, those places on the internet actually exist. Yes, would you I believe? Know they, uh, okay, yeah. yeah, and you they, don't they need do... to. And here's the great thing about it, Patricia: it's free, <laughs> and you don't have to pay for anything. <laughs> and you don't have to, like, you know, have like old magazines lying around. 
Oh my god! And you don't have to, and you don't, you know, all you have to do is, just, if, when your uh, your mother comes over to like, you know, clean your room, you know, all you have to do is basically just turn your tablet off, and you don't have to like hurry and like, you know, push your magazines under the bed. Where she'll obviously find them and then judge you for like the rest of your days that you're there until you finally go for college. Oh, my God. oh you know, just like the Sports Illustrator's problem was that he couldn't keep up with technology. And this is a problem with all, like, you know, magazine publishers. Like, yeah, there's going to be a, like, it's kind of like vinyl records in a way. Like, I believe one day it's just, you know, vinyl records will one day go away. And then because they're quite a bit of, like, you know, um, a bit of like a nice collectible to have, I think that's the reason why they've sort of, sort of started coming back again. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, nifty to have like, you know, a vinyl record and I get there's quality for it. But uh, I think that's what's happening right now. I think, you know, print media, I think, is basically going to go into like a massive decline, you know, over the next probably like decade or something like that. And then when people like see like a little bit of a novelty, like having like, you know, a physical, you know, copy of like something to read in there. I think eventually it will come back in like a small variety. But believe me, I think a lot of like, you know, print media is going to die off pretty quickly. I well, think. I mean, it, it, when, I'm sure, I'm, I don't know back. about the future of print media, but I know when it comes to like, you know, media, when it comes to like TV shows or movies or even video games, it has become apparent that physical media is the way to go. Because at any moment, your favorite movie, TV show, video game can be delisted. And then what are you going to do when it's no longer available? Well, babe, what, what do you think we're going to do with a Sports Illustrated magazine? Like, oh, you know, oh, it might go away off the uh, off the tablet. Oh, it's good thing. I've got my physical copy of like you know last month. You know, it's like uh, what's the what's the you know there's the, the have a physical item of a game is one thing because you know you can play a game over and over and over again mm -hmm. and things like that. Like there's there's entertainment value in doing that. In like you know an old like you know for example like you know what about like a, a newspaper like a newspaper article from like 15 years ago? What am I going to do? Read the article again? Well, I mean, you could always have it in storage because in libraries, you can be able to have over a hundred years worth of archive stuff. So if you need to do things like do research or if you need to like look things in perspective, like a lot of historians do, then you'll need that information. But so you can that, be able that's to have okay if you're a that's okay if you're a history buff, though. Like, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're if you into that kind of stuff, then, you know, good, then good on you. You keep an archive of stuff. But mm -hmm. in regards to, like, um, you know, it, 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 you can't really compare it to a video game or, like, a, a movie or something like that. Like, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, a movie, you know, obviously you can get constant entertainment out of, you know, watching it multiple times. I, I have lots of movies like that. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I like to watch again and again. The Ten Commandments yeah. is, like, one of my favorite movies. You know, like, right. uh, and, you know, like, I'll watch it again and again, even though it's, like, mm -hmm. hours on end and, you know... <laughs> It makes me wonder if I could do something better with, like, you know, four hours in a day. But, I mean, like, uh, you know, um, but, you know, in regards to, like, you know, actual physical print media, I, I just think that uh, a lot of it now, I think, is, uh, you know, we live in a 24-hour news cycle as well. So, like, stuff like that is going to be pretty time-sensitive, and it becomes dated very quickly. And yeah. uh, what would you rather have? Something that's going to become dated with, like, you know, within, tw within, like, six hours or something that you have in your hand where it can update instantly, you know? Like, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, you do yeah. have a point. Exactly, yeah. So I think, you know, Sports Illustrated, unfortunately, I think is another victim in like, you know, just us going into the modern era, like, you know, of of, uh, of information, uh, moving information. 
you know, like uh, we have social media now that tells us everything that's going on. And yeah, uh, and, I, and I'm sure that they have like a digital, um, you know, subscription as well for people to like look into. But yeah, the, the main reason why that there's a massive layoff is because the publisher lost its license and they didn't pay back. So yeah. they're just going to basically just most likely shut off the entire thing. So it's not because nobody was interested in reading the magazine anymore. It's because people either were just re getting really cheap and lazy or they just completely forgot. And I mean, they even said it. There's no comment on why they decided not to pay it in the first place. So, uh, you know, this thing is still ongoing. We don't even know what the answer I, is. I get I, I have an inkling that basically it's due to those issues. I, I get the feeling. This is just my opinion. I think it's due to low sales. I, mm. I genuinely think it is because you know like uh, if it was doing really well gq wouldn't shut it down uh, i think no, they would, you, do, I think you do have a point they, they would do something to save it you know like uh you know if uh imagine it's like you know if uh you know suddenly, suddenly out of the blue nintendo decides you know no more zelda games anymore ever it's kind of like yeah what, what? Yeah, what do you exactly. mean it's what? like what do you mean what are you talking about zelda's doing great it's selling like yeah. hotcakes it's like uh now we, we, we forgot to pay a guy so like uh yeah we're trying not to do it anymore it's like, what? It's like, no, dude, pay whatever it needs to be done for, you know, the next Zelda game and just get it out there. Like, it'll make money, you know? It's like, yeah. I, I think if the, 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 if Sports Illustrated was in that position, I think they would have saved it. Oh, sure. Right, that's just yeah. why I think, anyway. So, right. Anyway, moving on to our next uh, bit of news. Uh, so, uh, there was a going to be a Lizzie McGuire, Mag Lizzie McGuire re revival show. Yeah, we talked about this uh, about three years ago on Aaron and Patricia that around the time in which when every channel was basically doing revivals or continuations of shows that came out 20 or 30 years ago, we're starting to have like sequel series. We talked about this with Fuller House, Girls Meets World, Raven's Home. And now there were even talks about like, hey, you know, Lizzie McGuire's coming back and everybody was excited. But then we heard that in 2020 or 2021 that it was not going to happen because they wanted to take it into a completely different direction they wanted to make it a little bit more adult just like what they did with the clarissa now book and the disney was like saying nope and we didn't hear any further information until literally just recently in which one of the writers behind the, the lizzie mcguire revival explained about what it was going to be about. So it was going to be like a continuation series where we're going to see Hilary Duff coming back as Lizzie McGuire and we were going to see her friends, um, you know, reuniting with one another for the first time in a long time. And here's some of the details that the writer shared. The show starts with Lizzie living in New York City as an interior designer dating a handsome chef. Lizzie's boyfriend cheats on her with her best friend. Gordo is engaged and expecting a baby with another woman. In episode three, Lizzie wakes up in Ethan's bedroom and checks off her to-do list, which Disney was not happy about. So, yeah, you, you have to understand, Disney Channel and, uh, live action series... Oh, we have a live action series where our main character is uh, waking up in another guy's bedroom and checks it off as her to-do list twice. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, if not, I mean, could ABC not pick it up? I mean, like, well, it, uh, it wasn't an ABC show. It was a uh, Disney Channel well, show. Who cares? Like, you know, it's just, it's, uh, I mean, is it, you know, ABC could probably get away with that, couldn't they? 
Like, you know, mm, I'm sure that they I'm sure. Yes, I'm sure that they could have gotten away with it. But because it was a Disney Channel show and I'm sure that they wanted to ride off the coattails of Raven's home. You remember that one show that we watched like one episode of Once Upon a Time when we were staying at the hotel in, in yeah. Orlando? I mean, like I wasn't really into that. So Raven anyway. So like, you know, Raven's home was kind of like, uh, you know, uh, not really kind of like my thing anyway. So like, uh I mean, we were like way too old when that show came out. Anyway, uh, I mean, I was I was curious about it because I did like you know some of the concepts of it, but I couldn't say I really got into it. I mean, it sounds like. really interesting about like you know you have this uh, you know um, girl who has psychic powers and she's able to see a few moments into the future and she tries to avoid it happening or tries to make it happen, but then wacky shenanigans happen. But yeah, I mean, you know, her many years later as an adult raising two children by herself and then going into her own wacky situations when her best friend who has a son moves in with her. I mean, I can understand that because they try to do something similar with Fuller House. But yeah, the Lizzie McGuire thing, I mean, here's the thing for those who don't know. So Lizzie McGuire was essentially the Disney Channel equivalent of Clarissa Explains It All. So the creator of Lizzie McGuire was actually a writer for the Clarissa Now pilot that happened on CBS back in the 90s. And when that never got picked up, Everything she learned from, you know, doing all the stuff with Mitchell Kriegman on Clarissa, she kind of implemented into Lizzie. And it was kind of like that. It was like a teenage girl who lived off her everyday life with her friends. And she was talking to the audience, breaking the fourth wall. But instead of like Clarissa, where she would like look into the audience and talking to them, she would actually have like this animated Lizzie basically like give a whole bunch of comments about her annoying little brother, about her friends, about her parents embarrassing her and stuff like that. So yeah, it was essentially that and very similar to things i can't explain which was the book that mitchell wrote 25 years after clarissa ended where it showcases melissa joan hart's character clarissa as a 26 year old adult living in new york city going through a lot of struggles with work and being able to meet up with a guy and have a relationship with him even though that he already has a girlfriend and then her completely getting drunk and embarrassing him in front of everybody yeah that kind of stuff is like there's a reason why he made it into a book as opposed to like try to kick it off to Nickelodeon which they were planning on doing a revival on Clarissa but it got cancelled and yeah I wouldn't be surprised if Disney was seeing like the ideas that the creator of Lizzie wanted to do for a continuation it was like no way this is the Disney channel we're supposed to be family friendly we're supposed to be funny this whole thing about like yeah your boyfriend is cheating on you with your best friend and now you're sleeping with this other guy and you're gonna have it as like a to-do list so you can be able to better yourself and just... i see kind of see their points of view but at the same time i would not like you know look they're disney like you know they're in other places you know they could even put it on disney plus if they yeah if they that's to. a great yeah. idea you could have put it on disney plus for the adults who grew up with lizzie mcguire to watch that's a great idea they did the same thing on paramount plus with zoe 102 in which it's a continuation of zoe 101 you know, it's funny that you know we started off this show talking about how you know uh directionless disney actually is and then, and yet here we are like here's disney trying to stick to like their mo Pretty much saying like, you know, no, this is not our target audience. Our target audience is like, you know, what Lizzie McGuire was back in the day. 
effectively yeah. and like you know so uh yeah it's just it's uh but at the same time like i think the problem is that they don't have enough fluidity to like think about oh hey this could end up on our streaming site or this could end up at abc or this could end up somewhere else like you know it's still you know if it's a good idea then by all means but uh i guess maybe i don't know the other thing i could think of is that they want to protect lizzie mcguire the, the lizzie mcguire character because like i mean in the original show like did she do anything like remotely like you know as controversial as that no way no exactly yeah i think they wanted to protect the character Sure, but if this is what the creator wanted to happen, then, you know, let her be able to create what they, she wants. Who cares? You know, Disney will basically, if they wanted to like bring back Lizzie McGuire and wanted to cut the creators completely out of it, then they would do it. You have a point. I better shut yeah. up now. Yeah. Let's not give this any further fire. So... <sighs> Yeah, yeah. I'm, you sorry, know what? I'm sorry you didn't get a chance to like you know uh, continue on the uh, Lizzie McGuire story at the, in in that era, but maybe probably you know thinking about it now, if you know it could have been far worse. Like, you know, you you do have a point, sure, because I mean, who knows what would have happened if um it would have turned into a 180 and it would have just been a, a ma massive embarrassment for people who grew up with the show. So you know what? Fair enough. Cool. Anyway, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm, for the creators and the writers of the revival, I hope that in some way, shape, or form, you can be able to pass it off. Maybe you could write a book on it, just like what Mitchell Creepman did for Clarissa. We'll see. Who knows? You know, like, uh, anything's possible. That's true. Okay, moving on to uh, Nintendo news. Uh, so... The Nintendo Switch 2 that everybody is uh, gawking over at the moment and uh, wondering when we're going to hear some interesting news about it. Well, um, IGN.com has said that the new Nintendo console might potentially be arriving in 2024. So yeah. uh, it's uh, so we've been speculating this over like the six for like six years since the like you know the original Switch launched in 2017. Pretty mm -hmm. much, you know. Yeah, and, where, and we also we heard a long time ago that, you know, they were talking about that, oh, you know, it's going to be in the latest technology with NVIDIA and it's going to, you know, be in 4K and it's going to be all this kind of stuff. And then recently we talked about this in Aaron and Patricia with um, the AI system predicting like, oh, you know, it's going to be called this and it's going to be coming out on this particular date. So, yeah, again, with the AI thing, we'll take it with a grain of salt. But yeah, what did IGN say about what we what we should know? Okay, about so, so far? according to this this is the latest news so ign.com says this and i quote um while nintendo hasn't announced official follow-up for their incredibly successful nintendo switch console there are enough rumors swirling around to make us believe uh a reveal uh, will likely take place sometime within uh 2024 and they say sometime within with an N okay, and not an yeah. M. So, 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 yeah, you got a spelling error there, IGN, by the way. So, um, according to, so let's start off with the first bit. So, recent code documents uh, has, as part of the Activision Blizzard acquisition, revealed that Nintendo bre briefed Activision on the Switch 2 in late of 2022. So, Nintendo did brief Activision that this was a thing. Mm, okay. So, and Activision's Brad Smith confirmed in a 10-year deal to bring the Call of Duty uh, series to Switch earlier this year, announcing that the game will be available on the same day as Xbox, so with full feature and content per, per parsity. Okay. So uh, there's a pos possibility that, you know, there's going to be crossover between the Xbox and the Switch too. That'd be All right, then. Nintendo's okay. president, um, uh, Shinzaro Fukuyama, uh, confirmed in an interview with uh, Nikkei, uh, and translated by uh, VGC, that uh, Nintendo will support the current-gen Switch until at least March of 2025. This sentiment was also backed up by previous comments uh, Fukuyama made uh, regarding the future of the Nintendo Switch in a financial briefing Q&A in 2022. So, uh, 
you know, in an interview, he committed, he committed to focusing on building a long-term relationships with our customers through Nintendo accounts, uh, then went on to reiterate, while continuing to release the new Nintendo Switch uh, software to consumers who enjoy, we aim to maintain relationships across hardware generations uh, through series, so, so services that utilize Nintendo accounts and by our providing opportunities for them to, to experience our IP through other non-gaming channels. Wow. So, this could be a lot bigger thing. So, I mean, it could be, yeah. I mean, it doesn't sound as um, remotely downgrading compared to the Wii U. Yeah. Um, so during Gamescom, Eurogamer Euro reported that the Nintendo Switch 2 was uh, being demoed at the show, uh, showing that it, showing off a quote-unquote souped-up version of one of the Nintendo Switch's most beloved games, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. While the potential demo device didn't directly meet, mean a consumer product will be on the market soon, it doesn't indicate Nintendo may be looking forward to what's uh, next and likely what game developers are likely to offer in the future. So... Uh, I mean, I heard something like, you know, they were getting, like, you know, Breath of the Wild to, like, run in, like, you know, uh, 60 frames per second rather than the 25 yes. per, per second, I think, that it currently runs in. 30 frames. 30, 30 frames per second, that it currently wins in at the minute. So right. uh, maybe maybe something to do with that. Um, Digital Trends, a press release concerning games software company AI Shark, as we said you know, last week, uh, that uh, they had some information in release to Nintendo Switch 2. Uh, the release uh, claimed that uh, the company's new AI-powered uh, game software could launch uh, to coincide with the Nintendo Switch 2 in September 2024. So likelihood is there's going to be some AI involved in this new console. Of course there is. Yeah, so, uh, well, we don't know how it's going to be used. Basically, like you know, I mean, I, I don't know, like uh, I don't know how I would feel if like Nintendo basically said, "Okay, here's the Nintendo Switch 2, but so you don't have to buy any games for it because AI will generate whatever game you want." And it's kind of like, um, you know, no, no, no. like I, I like Capcom, I like you know all our game designers, yeah, I exactly. Like, you know, I like Capcom, I, I like Nintendo, I like Konami, I like all of these companies to please make their own games. I don't want AI to basically just say, here's the best features of it. Go make a game. And then it just basically just prints out like some could, sort could of... Could you imagine if like, uh, you know, the Nintendo trained all its AI like on games and like, you know, say, oh, hey, here, you know, now you can play whatever game you want. You just got to ask it. And then it basically creates whatever game existed previously. And yeah. uh, then just did that. I could probably imagine there's going to be lawsuits up the ass for that. It will be. I could, I yeah, I could just see it. Um, yep. Well, there's no official word from Nintendo. Um, Cards and Games analyst uh, Dr. Sirkin Toto uh, noted that uh, the in a GameIndustry.biz predictions Q and A that he anticipates the 2024 launch window and has a $400 price tag. Wow. So, I mean, it's not 599 US dollars. I think we can all be happy, happy with that. And uh, but mind you, I, I, there's one thing I also heard about the uh, potential of the the games that they that they might release. And apparently, some of the games that they might release might cost seventy dollars. Seventy dollars. Seventy. Yeah. Like, what's the justification? I guess inflation's a thing, but I mean, like, what's the justification of having a seventy, you know, seventy dollar Nintendo game? Yeah, when the Super Nintendo used to release $70 games back in the day, there there was a reason for that was because they put in so much of their graphical chips into the makings of like their massive worlds and all the graphics that they had to put in for like the final boss of a game or maybe like they had to cram in all of the the bit notes so that they can be able to create some amazing music. And you know, nowadays games are usually like $60 or maybe even more if they have a whole bunch of features like DLC and and a lot of additional content, maybe extra costumes and stuff like that. But 
If they're going to bump it up to $70, there has to be a justified reason as to why. I mean, like, uh, I can understand why, you, you know, back in the day, RPG games were, like, stupidly expensive. Oh, yeah, remember, like, Final Fantasy games were, like, you know, like, you know, it's a ton of money. I mean, to be, but to be fair, like, Final Fantasy games, you can play those games for easily, like, over 100 hours. Well, I mean, no, some people took, it took, like, a year to complete it. Exactly, like, yeah. It, it took months. Like, yeah, I mean, a... that was bang for your buck. Yeah, exactly. You, you so know, you didn't have to worry about, like, playing a Mega Man game. I could beat it in 45 minutes. Now what do I play? Exactly. Like, uh, but uh, I think the problem is, like, you know, oh, hey, I paid $70 for this game and I've just beat it, like, you know, within five hours. Now, what do yeah. I do? It's like, yeah, you know, exactly. Do I sell it on eBay? Or, like, you know, like, uh, it, it creates a conundrum. It really it does. does. So, yeah. So, will the Nintendo Switch be backward compatible, according to IGN? Uh, so, rumors swirls a possibility of Nintendo Switch 2. The question uh, backwards compatibility is uh, naturally on everyone's lips. In the absence of any official re uh, reveal, so that there isn't much to go on at this time. However, in a recent interview with Inverse, uh, the absolutely named Nintendo of America president, Doug Bowser, uh, alluded to the feature of a brand's approach to software. While Bowser opted to deny commenting on any uh, related rumors, rumors to the console, he did talk about the Nintendo account system, which uh, players' digital libraries are currently tied to on the Nintendo Switch. In the, in the past, every device we transitioned to had a whole new account system. Creating a Nintendo account will allow us to communicate with our players, and then we make a transition to a new platform and help ease the process of transition. This, dedi this dedication to the Nintendo account model could suggest that uh, all of our favorite Nintendo Switch games may work on the company's next console, regardless whether it lands regardless of the precious little invention that we know right now we'll have to take this information with a pinch of salt or not get ahead of ourselves um here's the thing about this yeah nintendo is notorious for basically like you know um saying oh hey here's this new console but now you need a new a nintendo account to like yeah you know, yeah they that was that was the thing with the wii and that was the thing with the switch and the, uh, that was a thing for the ds the 3ds and yeah. the yeah, I mean, it's always like, hey, you you can we be able to transfer all of the stuff that we purchase on the Wii over to the Wii U or for the Switch? Nope, that's its own separate thing. Yeah. So, um, here's the thing about this. I mean, like backward compatibility, I think will be helpful. I think in regards to that, because I remember when the Xbox uh, 360 first came out, and uh, I think everybody was really happy that you know they were going to like engulf some kind of backward compatibility for like you know the Xbox games and stuff. Like you know, yeah. I think uh, that, and also on top of that, even with the Xbox One, that you know, there's, there's they still have backward compatibility like for Xbox games, you know, and Xbox 360 games. Like you know, they kept that going, obviously, so you can still play your favorite games. Like you know, it was on a CD. I mean, it's on a DVD, so I mean, obviously that's understandable. And like you know, uh, so I I understand that entirely. But uh, I think it is really helpful uh, that, uh, you know, Nintendo, you know, we say, oh, hey, you've got your new console now. And maybe like, have, like let's be honest, like how many games do you buy for your new console? You know, where, I mean, when you first start like off. Like one, maybe two tops. I mean, like the, the last time I like, you know, I remember when I bought my Super Nintendo, I had Super Mario World and Super Mario Brothers All-Stars. That's it. That's what I started did, did, off But with. were there any games that came with your console? Well, yeah, Super Mario Brothers All-Stars. Okay. So that was the idea. When I moved on to Nintendo 64, I had four games. So I had, uh, you know, uh, Super Mario 64, Mario Kart 64, uh, Mission Impossible, and uh, I can't remember what the fourth game was. I think it was... Yeah, I think it was like, when, when my game. dad bought me my PlayStation 2 when I was like... I must have been like 16. It came with a bundle of Jack and Daxter and Ratchet and Clank. So I already had two games on my, uh, on my collection. And what console was that? The PlayStation 2. The PlayStation 2, yeah. Because uh, I remember the original PlayStation, it came with like a demo disc. 
when you it did it did yeah. come up with the demo disc yes yeah which i think is really helpful because they said oh hey here's all these games you essentially you play yeah like it had like all these like demos of like oh you know here's the newest final fantasy game and ooh, look at this uh here's metal gear solid and oh look at this here's um some other obscure game that you wouldn't have heard of unless you played the demo disc so yeah it was able to get you excited to say wow you know this is all the cool stuff that's going to be coming on but somewhere we'll- with my original nintendo ds i think i still like the metro prime hunters get a demo yeah, that, that was a pretty common demo that a lot of people got with their DS. Yeah, yeah, I think I still got somewhere actually thinking about it. And, uh, you know, I remember though, uh, I had also for my, when I got my GameCube, they actually did like uh, the uh, the demo for like, uh, you know, the Rebel Assault games uh, that, uh, you know, the Rose Roger games, something I should say. And uh, so, well, I actually had demos of that. I actually was planning on keeping it, but uh, then I decided to sell it on eBay for about like, you know, uh, something else to a dentist. So, oh, okay. Like, yeah, that was an interesting time. So, um, yeah, but I think uh, the, the point is that I think if you want Nintendo Switch 2 to be successful, I think if you have, if you can go around to your consumer and say, okay, we've got all these new games, but on top of that, you can also refer back to your old games if you want to as well. And it's like, uh, I'm sure a lot of people will be very happy with that. And mm-hmm. they'll say, yeah, well, uh, okay. And on top of that as well, like if it's 4K, I mean, not only are you going to have like your new games to keep you company, but you'll have your old games, which are in 4K. That would be really great if they were able to do that feature. Yeah, they should do it. So, cool. So, uh, I mean, so that's what we know so far. I mean, I've heard another thing as well that apparently we might be getting announcements about Nintendo Switch 2 and potentially even a release in quarter two of 2024. But I don't know that for a fact. Um. Yeah, I, I don't know that for a fact either. Like, you when when does usually Nintendo Directs happen around this time? Like, what? Like maybe February or March? Well, I mean, we're not getting E three this. E three forever now. I mean, yeah, like, forever. Yeah, so. Exactly. Yeah. So, so now I, we have to rely on Nintendo Directs in order for us to get our newest. Also, there's like you know, there. there's uh, there's um, also the uh, state of, state of the there's the the, the uh, Sony state things, and also there's Microsoft. Oh, this, the, well, I mean, the Sony state, state of, of play, play is usually for Sony consoles. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, like the PlayStation exactly. 5 or if they were doing like the, the PS Vita and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, it would be just like, you know, all the announcements for that stuff. Like, oh, you know, here's a uh, season two of The Last of Us. And OK, uh, we're going to have a sequel to this game and stuff. But yeah, not for Nintendo news. Yeah, well, I mean, like, no, but uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, we're going to have like Nintendo Directs for Nintendo stuff. And then we're going to have State of Play for Sony stuff. And then we're going to have like, you know, uh, Xbox well, also, like have their own thing. I probably would imagine. Well, which, uh, by the way, they just recently had their um their their direct. Yeah, exactly. So, so I guess we're waiting for a Nintendo Direct sometime in Q two of tw- of this year, effectively. So that's going to be sometime like within those three months. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping. You know, I know this will be a stretch, but bear with me. You know. I would love it if they would do the same thing that they did with um, Breath of the Wild, where they were able to port it to both the Wii U and the Nintendo Switch. Metroid Prime 4, I would love it if it was both a Switch and a Switch 2 exclusive. That would be so great if I was able to see that, because um, we haven't heard anything on Metroid Prime 4 in almost seven years. Well, do you think that's what do you think that's what they're waiting for? That could be a possibility because well, I think, think the about Switch... this. How, how good would that be? The Nintendo Switch Two is coming out, and the title in the uh, you know where uh, the debuting title for Nintendo Switch Two is going to be Metroid Prime Four. That would be amazing because Metroid Prime Four would be a great way to like ease people into saying, "Hey, the long wait was worth it." And you know what? Metroid has <laughs> Hell, never throw, throw, throw Half Life Three in there, and Nintendo's won the console war <laughs> even before it even began. <laughs> Oh, my 
my goodness. Yeah, just uh, so I am joking about that. Okay, but no. yeah, I mean, like, uh, I just think that, um, you know, Nintendo, when they first announced the Switch 2, yeah, put Metroid Prime 4 in there, um, put in some other exciting titles in there, and, uh, you know, go for the, obviously you go for the Mario title, everything has Mario title. I mean, dare I say, I mean, like, uh, I think they should also, like, you know, go for an F Zero game as well. Like, you know, you, just, you say how uh, warm really received F Zero 99 was. Oh, yeah. Then we can justify the guy who had to pay so much in stock holds just so he can be able to see another F-Zero game. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so, I mean, hopefully that might be something that might be on Switch 2. And also, we're long overdue for a Star Fox game as well. Like, yes, you know, like, I do uh, agree. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, Battle, for, uh, Battle for Atlas was like, you know, something else. But I mean, like, you know, uh, can we have a Star Fox game again, please? Like, you know, take the Star Fox Zero and put it like, you know, uh, and finally port it over to like, you know, either Nintendo Switch or Switch 2. Seriously. And like mm -hmm. I, I would, I'd well do, I'd well be into that. Yeah, I think that'd be great. Okay. All right. So if any more Nintendo stuff comes in with the Switch Two, I'm sure we'll let you know here. All right then. Okay. Let's talk about Sega for a second because yeah, uh, let's do that. Hyperkin, that loved to make all these wonderful retro gadgets, uh, has decided to unveil the Mega Ninety Five handheld Sega Genesis system. Yes. And uh, not only is this thing a Mega Drive that you can hold in your hand, it also takes your uh, Sega Genesis cartridges as well. Like, you just plop on the top of them. So effectively, like, it's like a, like an upgraded version of the Sega Nomad. I know, that's what I was going to say. It's like an upgraded version of the Sega Nomad that the only time in which it was shown off was, if you remember that Dolly Parton Christmas movie that we saw... <laughs> Like, I hope it has a good battery life. That's all I can say. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it only has, like, what, two hours of a battery life? Because usually when it comes to, like, um, you know, Nintendo's philosophy of lateral uh, withering technology and using it in conventional ways, I mean, they did have a point. I mean, even though that the graphics were pretty big crunch and the sound was not as clear or crisp and it was basically, like, a greenish black it it was able to last for a long period of time, whereas something like the Sega Nomad or even the the the, the what was it like the Neo uh, Neo Geo uh, handhelds or even the Atari Lynx, they drained off so much battery because. It was utilizing like you know color and sharp graphics, but you could only have so much energy to ju to do that. So yeah, that's a, why there was somebody on YouTube. I can't remember who it was, but uh, they took a Sega Nomad and then like uh, they took it apart and like uh, you know uh, took the video board, put some like ports on it, and got it playing on a TV. I just kind of sat there looking, just like a Genesis. Yeah, I was gonna say like <laughs> what? Yeah, just play a Sega Genesis. I I don't understand. <laughs> That's like saying, just, okay, I'm gonna take a, uh, I'm gonna take um, uh, the Nintendo Switch, and I'm going to basically like take it apart, and I'm gonna have it play on my TV. It already plays on your TV. Why do you need to do that? Yeah, it's just well, I, I don't know, but uh, anyway, anyway, so yeah, let, the, the Hyperkin. So the Hyperkin. So um, according to HotHardware.com, uh, we reported on the handheld system uh, quite in the early uh, recently, actually the boom of the market spurred by the success of the Steam Deck. Uh, products that the existing vendors like uh, Amigo GPT and One One, One Notebook have uh, been battling over newer machines like OEM, like Asus, Lenovo, and recently MSI. Today, there's something a bit different, and uh, I do apologize, everybody. Why? Computer keeps crashing every time. You know what? It's it, I'm on one of those websites where you know it basically just keeps constantly loading like tons and tons of ads, and then what it does is it uh, crashes my c computer because it can't handle it all. So uh, let me just see if I can get onto a different website to uh, do this. I do apologize, everybody. So uh, let's yeah. go on the let's go on the Verge.com. So maybe they okay, have a better description of it. So. 
the Mega 95 is a, is a new handheld console from Hyperkin that's designed to play original Sega Genesis and Mega Drive cartridges. It's equipped with a 5-inch display that has a toggle switch uh, to between uh, your 4-curl on 3 and 16-curl on 9. So basically, it can do widescreen and also do like you know standard screen as well on this. And uh, according to this, Hyperkin will have a 10-hour battery life. Okay, so definitely like... So it's ten times better. It's ten times better than the than the, yeah. the second Nomad. Yeah, and it only took over thirty years for that to finally find. To be fair, though, like you know, you 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 can't really compare the two when you really think about it. Like one's like you know they made in twenty twenty four when like you know the Genesis like you know he's like decades old. Uh, effectively and now we're in the situation where you know batteries will now last a lot longer and uh, you know so yeah it's not really a fair you know fight between the Nomad and and this. Like, uh, it's kind of saying, like, you know, oh, well, the Super Nintendo has better graphics than the NES. Well, yeah, because, like, you know, it's, it's got a, it's got, it's got better technology in it. So, anyway. Um, the handheld book, uh, the handheld looks to be a portable hypergame, uh, uh, console. Uh, the existing Genesis compa- compatible retro console released in 2008 is now sells for about $60. The Hyping Retro release doesn't go into detail about how the Mega 95 uh, runs its classic uh, Genesis titles, but uh, the uh, Mega Retro and HD reportedly uses a hardware emulation approach with a quality that sits somewhere between the software emulator and uh, the premium FPGA base system in the Analog's uh, Mega SG home console. So effectively, it's sort of like running like on an emulator, really. So it's like it's not like oh like you know like a Genesis built into it if you know what I mean. Oh, I see. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So there's also a USB-C dock that's available that you can plug in into your TV, and it also focuses on like Sega Genesis plugs, so you can plug your Sega Genesis uh uh you know uh card you know controllers into them as well. So basically, it also acts as a Sega Genesis too. Okay. Yeah. So. So currently, the Hyperkin uh, Super FES emulation machine sell currently sells for about hundred and twenty dollars. $120. Okay. So, well, actually, I don't know. If, actually, I think that's... Oh, hang on a second. I do apologize. I think that's for the... Uh, that's for the Super NES emulation machine. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So I don't know how much... Uh, how much actually... Uh, does it say how much the... Uh, it costs... Uh, no, I don't think it does. So, um, I guess we're going to find out what the price is uh, somewhere down the line. So. Gotcha. All right. Well... I mean, I think it sounds pretty cool. I mean, the fact that you get to be able to play your Sega Genesis games um, to go with the cartridge, although in more recent years, like the Steam Deck, um, you can be able to play like various uh, Sega Genesis games on there. Like I have the Sega Genesis Classic Collection on my Steam. And if I had a Steam Deck, I can play up to like 20 games on from the Sega Genesis onto my Steam. And you know I have some- I've had a lot of people who have Steam Decks now and it urging me to get one. And uh, yeah, I, I want to like, get one too because I have a lot of games on my Steam collection that I definitely want to play with my hands. Like, I do as well. It's just this. Uh, the only thing about it is, is that uh, I don't know. Given the fact I already have a Nintendo Switch already, and like uh, I just feel like you know I already have like a, a handheld device where I want to play games on it. But uh, I mean, and also on top of that as well, I've not really been playing PC games as much as I have been playing console games all that much. So for me, if I think if I got one, I think more because of peer pressure, really more than like you know I really want to play it. Okay, that's so. fair. Yeah. I mean, if anything, I definitely want to do it because there's some Metroidvania games that I cannot play with a keyboard. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's it, it does get a little bit overwhelming. Like I can play the Mega Man Legacy Collection no problem with a keyboard, but you know games like Hollow Knight or Guacamelee or um, you know games like that I cannot do justice with a keyboard. Okay. 
Right, and finally, uh, Sony issues refunds for The Last of Us Part 2 owners who accidentally pre-ordered the PS5 remaster of full price. Oh, God. I mean, uh, you guys have forgive me, like, I'm not really, like, um, you know, I'm not really familiar with The Last of Us all that much, so, like, I mean, I, I know, not the game itself, but, like, uh, you know, what happens, like, within the community and stuff, so, like, uh, um, I don't know how on earth this mix-up was created in the first place. Yeah, so I'm just going to read off what it says here on Games Radar. So it says here that um, the Last of Us Part 2 remastered launch, bringing minor technical improvements, cut content, and a whole roguelike mode to the oppressive survival game. Those who owned a digital or physical copy can upgrade it for $10, but they instead ordered the pre-ordered game at the full $50. $50. And so that's why they had to do the whole refunds of The Last of Us Part 2 because for the p- for people who already owned the game, they can upgrade it for $10. But oh, you know, you want to be able to buy the game again? Well, here you go. So that's where all the refunds are coming from. Ah, uh, okay then. So they're doing it as a gesture of goodwill. And to be honest with you, like, you know, uh, it's nice to see that Sony realized like, instead of like just keeping the money and like saying, oh, well, you should have like done X, Y, and Z to like, you know, yeah, get the game properly. I'm glad they actually decided to say, no, um, you, you know, we are bad. We should have explained it better and gave the gave the money back. So, yeah. you know, uh, good on Sony for doing that, actually. Absolutely, yes, I do agree. I mean, it could have been easy for them to just say, well, you got the game, too bad, no refunds. That would have been really or even better. Imagine, imagine, imagine buying a game from Warner Brothers and like saying, oh, hey, you got this game now. Oh, Yo, you want to upgrade it? Okay, here you go. Oh, whoops, you bought the whole game again. It's like, uh, oh, well, uh, too bad. We've uh, written the game off for tax purposes. Goodbye, everybody. No more game. I mean, to be fair, when Arkham Knight came out and it was like a broken, ugly mess on the Steam, they actually refunded a lot of people who were so angry with the PC port. So at least there's that. But, you know, oh, heaven forbid people like, um, you know, Todd Howard from Bethesda, when they say, oh, Fallout, f- um, you know, all these Fallout games are broken and incomplete. Oh, um, the this new updated patch for Skyrim is not working properly. Uh, w- w- you know, it's like, oh, well, well, you know, too bad, so sad. You know, it just works. Mm. So, um, unfortunately, I think, um, you know, um, uh, you know, there is some things happening in the game industry where, you know, they will do, you know, really awful things. Like, you know, if you buy the full game, like, you know, uh, they won't give you a refund or they won't like, you know, they'll what you, know, you say, oh, well, we warned you and everything like that. But, you know, like, you know, kudos to Sony for doing this. I think that's a good thing. About that. Yeah. I remember many, 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 many years ago when I saw somebody wanting to return a game from GameStop and they, they just Oof. bought it like literally a few days ago. And then they're saying, well, I mean, we can't return it. It's um, you've already played it and it's uh, probably not going to be as good a condition when you first got it. So we're going to, we're going to get it from you, but we're just going to give you like $10 back. Wow. So, yeah. GameStop people, sucks. Uh, people wonder why games are such a squalid reputation, you know, before, yeah. uh, yeah, but, this but, must have been this must have been back like around two thousand nine or ten when I when when I was buying like something for my play, PlayStation three. So yeah, to be fair yeah. though, like you know what happens at GameStop event, you know, eventually was you know wasn't right, and uh, I'm really glad that's you know some you know some some rebellious like shareholders decides like you know come in and like you know, save the save the uh, save the products. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right, everybody. Well, uh, that'll do it for this week, and uh, yeah, we will see you next week for another episode of Aaron and Patricia. So all right, everyone, take care. Take care, everybody, and bye for now. Bye.